Hi, listeners. I want to tell you about a cause that I'm involved with at Heritage Radio Network. HRN is celebrating its 15th year, and to celebrate, we're deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. Hey everyone, it's Cam Hurt, host of the Best Show Ever podcast. And we have got a second season coming out very soon that I am very excited about got some very cool special guests, including musical acts that we all love, like Karina Reichman, Daniel Donato, Jake Brownstein from Eggy, Rick and Peter from Goose, and many more. Tune in for new episodes dropping on Osiris Media March 5th on the Best Show Ever podcast. Hey, everyone. Welcome to our special 36 from the Vault episode on the Dead & Company shows at Wrigley Field this September. Uh, this was the first opportunity Steve and I ever had to record in person, so in true Grateful Dead fashion, we had all sorts of technical difficulties uh, that we didn't uh, learn about until we tried to edit the episode. So it's still listenable, uh, but uh, be aware that the first half of this show is in sort of odd quality, uh, while the second half, which we recorded uh, back in our own respective homes, uh, is more of a soundboard. So. Uh, we tried to get everything just exactly perfect. Shout out to producer Brian for doing his best with the audio files. Uh, and, you know, bear with us for a slightly psychedelic, echoey experience uh, over the first hour. Thanks very much for listening. Take it away, Steve. Right, man, this is this is kind of weird. I have to say, we're in the same. So, Rob and I were at his house right now. This is the first time we've done an episode in the same room ever. And the first time we've well, we saw each other yesterday. <laughs> that was the first time we'd seen each other since um, December of 2019. Right, the before times. So, the band has come back together. And not even coming back together, it has come together. Yeah. Together again for the first time. And, um, yeah, we're here. Well, we're here to see Dead & Co. We saw the first show last night. We're going to see another show, I guess, in about four and a half hours. Yeah. We're recording this on Saturday afternoon on the 18th. Um, more importantly, we're going to hit a dispensary after this. <laughs> You got to be prepared. I live in a state, a backward state, where you can't buy weed legally. And I have a bunch of weed, but I want to get some edibles. Um, we were hitting the edibles last night at the show. Right, which helps. Yeah. 
with certain aspects of the Dead and Company experience that we'll get into. Yeah. I mean, do we do we just go into it? I mean, this is such a different episode for us. <laughs> this is like a special bonus episode. We're not talking about dicks picks. We're not talking about shows from right. 20, 30, 40, 50 years ago. We're talking about a show we saw yesterday. It's a live take of a show we saw with our own eyes and ears. We're going to have an addendum to what we're recording now because we'll record... A show. We'll record an additional part of this episode about the show we're seeing tonight on the 18th. But uh, I mean, do we just want to hit some themes at the top? <laughs> oh, I guess we should introduce ourselves right, first. Yes. Yeah. What's what's the show called? This is 36 from the Vault, presented by Osiris. Steve. I'm Rob. Good to talk to y'all after a few few months off. Yeah, yeah this, and this is like a one-off. You know, we're we're not going to go back to a regular regularly scheduled programming after this. But we figured, you know, Rob and I, we haven't seen each other in a long time. Our show has taken place entirely, well, not entirely, but mostly over the pandemic. I think we launched like a month before everything got shut down. Right, January. 2020 yeah. so just a couple months before so uh yeah this is strange i got steve looking at me on the other side of my dining room table right. we got uh you know we're here in sunny oak park illinois seeing a lot of dead fans around oak park and apparently jerry garcia passed away <laughs> which i wasn't aware of i know it's it's a whole new band he's gone and there's a new guy in there right the grateful dead they're younger than i thought they would be bill lesh is gone bill lesh is alive I hope. I think he is, but he's not in the band. Yeah, it's uh, you know, our first Dead and Co. experience. Yeah, and you know, we talk about Whiplash on this show, right? And we would talk about that in the context of having a Dick's Pick, say, in ni- 1968, and then the next Dick's Picks edition being in 1991, and it being kind of a hard transition sometimes. Well, this is the Whiplash of all time. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, did you listen to any Dead before? Going to these shows. Any Dead and Co. or just Dead? Actual original Dead, yeah. I listened to some Dead this week, warming up. I listened to some Dead and Co. as well. And I've listened to Dead and Co. in the past. Um, but I haven't like watched a lot of video right. of them. And I feel like on this show, I'm the one more amenable to John Mayer than you. Yeah, for any listeners who haven't gone with us on our entire odyssey through Dick's Picks... Uh, Which, by the way, I love that this would be the first one you would listen to. <laughs> hey, like, maybe. We want to hear the Dead & Co. episode. We've talked about, yeah, there's this young generation that could be Dead & Co. fans without actually being Grateful Dead fans. Strange oh. as that might be. I like the idea of people just waiting through all the Dick's Picks talk, hoping that we would eventually talk about Dead & Co. Right. Here we are. Jerry Garcia? Nah, don't want to hear about that guy. Yes, enough, enough with the Jerry Garcia. <laughs> I'm sick of the Jerry Garcia. Can we get to... 
the current Grateful Dead guitarist. Right. You know, out with the old in with the... Or the Comenti heads. They just, they, they didn't want to listen to a show without Jeff yes. Comenti. <laughs> what I was saying is that I haven't watched a lot of video of Dead & Company, and even as someone who's amenable to John Mayer, like seeing him on stage with the Grateful Dead, the only word you can use is whiplash. <laughs> I mean, there's whiplash there. Yeah. It takes some getting used to. And we'll get into this because we're going to go through the set somewhat quickly because, to be honest, I think I can speak for you, Rob. <laughs> I don't know how reliable of narrators we are for this show. <laughs> there was some shenanigans going on during the show. It was a very kind of chaotic show because of the weather. Right. I don't trust my own critical faculty. Yeah, and we have tried to listen to it back on uh, Nugs this morning a little bit. We jumped around the highlights, but... Which was good, because can, can we just say, like, the sound was terrible? The sound, in the venue, the sound was terrible. Uh, so it's... Yeah, we were in a bad spot, I think. Yeah. Didn't you say that you'd texted with someone who said that in the main... Because we were on the side. We were Jeff's side. Uh, <laughs> the Jeff... We are on the Jeff John side. <laughs> Jeff John side, the, um, the, the young kid's side. And the sound over there, it was like listening to an odd... On headphones, yeah. like a, like a not a like a, not a very good odd, but like in the meat of the stadium, it seems like it was better. Yeah, we were away from sort of the relay speakers, so I think uh, we were maybe missing. So it was it was quiet, weirdly quiet. Yes, and we also dulled our senses. We dulled our senses yeah, for a uh, while before the show and also during the show. And and you've been to a couple concerts post pandemic, uh, so you've sort of dipped your toes back into live music. But I yeah. I have been to. One show that had about 25 people in attendance before last night's 70,000, so... More whiplash. Yeah, exactly. Just uh, acclimating myself to being around a bunch of strangers uh, also threw me off my game a little bit. Did you feel like a stranger? Ooh. Is that fair to say? Not enough. Tonight, maybe. But can we just say, too, I feel like this is a good PSA that for those who haven't been to a show yet of any kind, you know, I was a little... I had some... uh, um, apprehension going into the show because you know you, you had to show proof of vaccination i thought oh this is going to be a cluster f <laughs> super smooth yeah oh yeah we got our little bra- our little bracelet that says that we're vaxxed we walked right in and it was nice to know that people were all on the same page yeah. in the stadium it gave you a little extra reassurance vaxxed or negative tested so that's yeah. that's great i know it's controversial in uh, the deadhead community yes yeah, so we want to broach this subject maybe we should just leave like, <laughs> we'll just leave let it, it lie that. but i will say that yeah you know as much as i could be put at ease for being around 70,000 people for the first time in a couple of years uh yeah it was it was fine and even as you said uh, a couple weather delays uh to give you sort of the uh, in-context experience of being there. Uh, the, the show was delayed starting because there was lightning in the area. Then we had... About an hour, wasn't it? Yeah, about an hour. Then we had four songs of a first set, and they had to pull them off stage again. So we got kind of like a half first set, and the second set seemed pretty full, though. So I think we got about three quarters of a regular... Well, um, did you notice on Nugs, they listed... Dancing in the Street as part of the first set, <laughs> yeah. even though they played it after the, because it was like a 40-minute rain delay right. after they started. So I don't know what the editorializing uh, on calculus the... <laughs> is there, because they didn't, because once they came back, they just played. Yeah. And they pretty much had to because of the curfew. I think they can only play till 11, and they played to about 10 to 11. So before we get into our episode, 
should we just quickly quickly outline some of the themes that we'll be getting into? Sure, yeah. This is very uh, PTI of you. We're gonna well. <laughs> we're gonna have like the the boxes scrolling on the side of the screen. And maybe we, maybe we'll just like throw it out now, and then we'll talk about it a little bit later. Right. But yeah, I mean, I feel like number one, the slowness of Dead and Co. Right. Which is something that like everyone talks about, yeah. but being in the actual presence of them. And hearing some of the tempos. I mean, we talk about not my tempo on this show. This is like a whole other level. Right. And I'm not even saying this as a criticism. I'm not necessarily complaining about this because it is something that you almost have to accept as being part of this experience that they play super slow. It was almost like a slow core band, like listening to early low records or early Red House Painters <laughs> albums. Yeah. Um, playing in the band. Right. Ooh, man. Holy smokes. We tried to BPM it this morning, and I think we came up somewhere between 30 and 40 on the uh, BPM counter. My, yeah, it's like if you listen to that song, like your heart might stop. <laughs> you know, if it's trying to replicate. Yeah. It, it's unbelievable. about how, in a way, for some of the younger guys in the band, to play that slow... Right. It's a challenge. It is a challenge. And I give them credit for adapting. Because it's like they're barely holding it together on some of these songs. It's so slow. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's weird, though, because it, it does feel tight. It's like there was... You know, so 90s Dead is also criticized for being very slow, but it was also sloppy, I feel like. Right. Whereas they're a tight, slow band, which also is sort of disorienting. Like, you know, playing in the band, they hit that, you know, the theme coming in and out of the jam and things like that. The sort of like, and then, yeah, once they start jamming, everybody's communicating well. And uh, there's, yeah, I'm just saying to, this is not going to be a negative ripping on Dead & Co. show at all. We had a great time and there's some good things, but it's it's an adjustment. I mean, I tweeted about this and I said, like, they played so slow at times that it's almost like time is collapsing on itself. And <laughs> you feel your own body metabolism <laughs> slowing down. And I don't mean that as a criticism. Yeah. It's sort of, it, it, it's so slow that it becomes psychedelic. It's like mind-altering levels of slowness. This just occurred to me. Maybe they play so slow because Bob is in such good shape that his heart rate has, his resting heart rate is now 30 <laughs> beats per minute. And it's so true. he's just listening to his body and uh, setting, counting off the tempo. Because that does seem to be like, you know, the drummers, of course, are elderly men right who are not going to be playing uh you know lightning fast beats no uh but it's i'm pretty sure it's bob that sets such a slow tempo bob seems to really enjoy like that stately pace uh for all of his show because you can hear it even in like the songs that mayor sings are get a little peppier right so oh yeah mayor is like the uh 
you know, like 1985 Dave Mustaine of that band <laughs> relative to the rest of the pacing. It's very, yeah, he's, he, yeah, he, he, he uh, picks up the pace considerably. One thing that we talked about, you brought up this point, and it hadn't really occurred to me until going to the show last night, Bob assuming the Jerry role in Dead & Co. Mm. And something clicked for me like when I just saw him on stage and I saw, and obviously I knew that you know, Bob has had the white beard and white hair for a while, but it just seemed very jerry Especially because they did they do morning do they did morning do last night yeah, with Bob singing with yeah. Bob singing, and uh, which I guess makes John the Bob <laughs> no, of Dead and Co. It's very confusing. Although no shorts for John, right? Uh, and he's wearing headphones. Yeah, that's a weird thing too. That's kind of a weird. I guess in ear monitors aren't his thing. He needs to wear like over ear monitors yeah or else he's like listening to frank ocean or something you know yeah was, was i think that was the joke the first show he wore the headphones was right after uh donda came out it was like he couldn't stop listening to donda for the or maybe show. he's listening to like 70s dead <laughs> you know played at hopefully a very reduced speed <laughs> um yeah i mean it's like it, they have they have a very strange dynamic you're right because i think bob who used to be the kid of the band is now you know the leader undisputed leader of the band and he's not older than the drummers but he's he feels older than the drummers in a weird way yeah uh and when he's like he's the star yeah exactly he's the front man now but he's also he he just looked jerry like to me yeah in a way again i had never quite made that connection in my mind before it just makes me think in 50 years when it's mayor and Comenti and co and they're playing with like Phil Lesh's kids, and uh, um, you know, I don't know. Does O'Teal have kids? You, you get O'Teal, get one of the Wolf Brothers in there. Yeah, whatever the Grateful Dead looks like in you know fifty years, like John Mayer is gonna have like a white beard yeah. and a shock of white hair. You think it's like the Santa Claus that like <laughs> right. when you take over, you just sprout a beard? Exactly. That's a, that was the movie, right? The Santa yeah, the Tim Santa Allen, Claus, yeah. The, yeah, the Tim Allen <laughs> Christmas film, right? Yeah, I think it is. You get a black T-shirt and <laughs> dark sunglasses, and you and you grow a beard. Yep. Yeah. Whoever, whoever, yeah. Like there needs to be a Jerry, <laughs> just like there needs to be a Santa Claus. There must always be one. Yeah. It's always going to be a new Jerry. Um, at the top, I feel like we need to shout out Jeff Comenti. Yeah, absolutely. And this was not a surprise to me, at least, no. uh, because I saw Comenti play, of course, fairly well. Uh, where it was a little hard to tell what he was doing and what Hornsby was doing. Uh, but I saw one of those Bob and Phil shows a few years back, and Comenti came out and sat in for the second set of that show. Uh, and he was incredible. Like That was like where it clicked, why they always choose this guy yeah. <laughs> to be their keyboard player, when they could you know, potentially ask Bruce or have somebody more high profile. Right. Uh, Comenti is the glue. That holds this whole thing together, and I think he's—I think it's sort of a well-known secret that he's like kind of the musical director of the band. Right. Uh, but you can tell when it gets into jams, all the action is happening on the the Jeff and John well, side of the stage, right? And that leads to the next big theme here, which you know we've already alluded to him—the uh, the elephant named Josh in the room, the hunk, the token hunk, as he put it this morning, uh, the token <laughs> hunk on stage, mayor. And as I said before, I feel like I was more amenable to Mayor than you. I feel like you're in the process of being won over by Mayor in person. Because, like, yeah. he did some good things last night. I mean, you just said this. I feel like 
the best moments of the show were some of the jams in the second set, mm-hmm. and it is Comanche and Mayer, mm-hmm. essentially. Right. They've got a nice communication going, I think. They had nice musical conversations yeah. that were leading the way on those jams, I think. And it's very interesting just thinking of those two guys, you know, the backdrop of this band. Uh, how Mayer, uh, how, you know, we just said Weir is the star, mm-hmm. but musically, a lot of times it feels like fades into the background during the more interesting parts. At yeah. least of the show we saw last night. It's hard to hear them. I mean, and not just from our seats, but also in the soundboard we were listening to today. Yeah. I think he wasn't very up in the mix. So, yeah. Um, yeah, it, again, weird dynamic. And O'Teal, I think, is also pretty, pretty great. In a in a nice subtle way too. Yeah, and uh, yeah, as a bass player and as a as a singer, mm-hmm. it's interesting that he doesn't sing that much. He probably has the best voice. Exactly, <laughs> there, I think because <laughs> he sang uh, "Fire on the Mountain" right. last night. Yeah, and uh, which is a great vehicle for him. I feel like he could sing some of the Jerry songs. Yeah, and he does. I think he, he does "Ship of Fools." He does a couple others, but okay. he's kind of a, a a one a one song a night treat. Right. Let O'Teal sing. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So John Mayer. All right. You're right. I have been Mayer skeptical uh, between the two of us. I'm I'm softening up to him. I liked Sob Rock for what it was. I thought it was <laughs> like exactly the kind of album he should be making, which is kind of you know a pastiche, a little bit self right. uh, self aware. Um, I don't know what else would you say about Sob Rock. It, it you know it's it, it's just like got a good relaxed vibe and. He's making age-appropriate music. Yeah, exactly. You know, he's he's not trying to be a pop star on that record. It's pretty clear he's making like a forty-three-year-old's album, which is probably why you and I like it. Right. Um, it's true. He could try to be like an Ed Sheeran, I guess. Right. That would be like his his lane to be if he wanted. And he to was be a pop Ed Sheeran star. for yeah, a while, exactly. Although I think he was a better Ed Sheeran. Well, now Ed Sheeran, like you know, you barely hear any guitar in his songs, right? He's right. just another pop guy, which right. Mayer probably could have done that, right. but what? And he hasn't, to his credit. Yeah. Um, I would say my take on him last night was that he didn't bother me. <laughs> that, that is the level of praise I'm at with John Mayer. And yeah. Uh, I appreciated his contributions to jams. I, I wasn't super irritated by his voice like I thought I would be on right. the songs that he sang. Um, I still think that he is a little bit of a too rigid or maybe right. blues-based. He's very... He's not really psychedelic at all, though he's, he had some cool effects at times. Like, there was there were some cool sounds coming. Yeah, I mean, I made this comment to you last night when I was watching him on the Jumbotron and watching his fingers. I just feel like you could see the Berkeley School of Music aspect. Yeah. What he's doing, you know, he comes from, you know, he's a trained musician. He's very technical and very adept at that, which is not necessarily a natural fit with the Grateful Dead. Mm-hmm. Um, but I don't know. I think I, I think that the best moments he was usually involved in, yeah, in some respect. And we, just to call back to you know, it's it, I, it must be incredibly difficult to play at that pace. I mean, yeah, John Mayer in his own songs when he's jamming is playing a lot faster, especially for the lead guitarist right. who is responsible for like the fireworks producing moments. How do you do that at a slower pace? How do you sort of, he does like little adornments on, you know, the, the classic Jerry Licks because they're being played so slow that there's more space to add a little bit here and there. Well, I feel like the song often picks up during his solos. Yeah. I mean, you can really hear that during the playing in the band mm-hmm. when, once they get out of the song proper. 
and start the jam, like him and Comenti locking in, it moves up to like maybe 80 beats per <laughs> minute, you know, which yeah. is like pretty fast. And then Deal was kind of uh, another moment. That oh, yeah. That was a shot of adrenaline. They got a little peppy. Right. Yeah. Well, let's quickly run through our usual <laughs> scene setting context here, here. yeah, yeah. Uh, talking about yesterday <laughs> september 17th well we want to talk a little bit about the venue <laughs> right wrigley so, field so these shows are at wrigley field which i have a a, a lifelong chicago and have a love-hate relationship with because i as has been established on the show i'm not a cubs fan i'm a cardinals fan it's crazy yeah you're not even from um St. Louis or I, that area. I think we've covered this before. My dad grew up in uh, yeah. Cubs Cardinals equal turf. But you're you're Chicago area native. Yeah, but I wanted to root for the same team as my dad. That was all it was. Oh, that's. And they were good in the '80s, and the Cubs were not. So yeah, my I formative suppose. years were spent uh, watching some fun Cardinals teams. So all the so all the kids were wearing Ryan Sandberg jerseys, and you were wearing like. Ozzie Smith. Ozzie yeah. Smith, Vince Coleman. <laughs> exactly, yeah. And then I eventually grew into enjoying being the sort of uh, antagonist, I guess, yeah. in these conversations. But Wrigley Field, I'm kind of of two minds about. I mean, it's Wrigley Field. It's beautiful. It's historic. Over 100 years old. That area is really fun, too. Yeah, uh, it is and it isn't. It I'm, was fun last night. I yeah. Sometimes I hate Wrigleyville. Yeah. It's, it's much more fun without the Cubs fans. The deadhead <laughs> scene last night around the stadium I thought was like pretty cool. And There's nowhere to have a lot, which is a shame. Right, so there's no lot scene. But they have that little area where there was a band playing. Yeah, Gallagher's away, uh, but it's not like you can vend there. I'm sure they were kicking people. Right That's pretty out. cool that they shouted out Liam and Noel Gallagher by naming that little pavilion after them. I appreciate that. It's like an insurance company or something. Everything around there. Yeah, is let's say, let's say it's Liam and Noel Gallagher yeah. way. Let's, I mean, let's say that. And the Cubs and the surrounding neighborhood are now owned by you know just awful right-wing monsters, the Ricketts family. Uh, and so that I always feel bad contributing in any way to their wallets by attending Wrigley Field. What? But what can you do? Cool vibes. And like yeah. in the stadium, I thought really great vibes. Yeah. I mean, it was like, like you know, as we said before, there was a long rain delay before the show. And then four songs in, there was another rain delay. People were cool, hanging out, we chatting. We to get under... Uh, you know, an overhang, and there was plenty of room for people. It, I was a little nervous, you know, about crowding into a concourse uh, with COVID, but uh, it was still pretty spread out, even though I think the show, it didn't quite sell out, right? Tonight sold out, but not the first night. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. I When I bought these tickets, I imagined it was just going to be like people like losing their minds emotionally <laughs> as soon as it, they came on. Uh, I feel like it wasn't like that, whether because other people people had seen other shows, or maybe the rain delay kind of pulled the rug on that. Where or the fact that they played "Let the Good Times Roll" <laughs> might have also uh, hurt. I uh, mean, you know, it, we, we we joked about this. <laughs> I mean, I would have killed for a Jed in that spot <laughs> over "Let the Good Times Roll." Yeah. I mean, I kind of hope they play Jed tonight, if only for the content right. of this episode. They gotta do it. Yeah, they didn't. You know, we keep going ahead here, but like. No 80s stuff Friday night. It was all 60s and 70s, which I have mixed emotions about because I really feel like Dead & Co. seems like an extension of the 80s dead. And I feel, in a way, they do that better right. than they do the older stuff. Like, I hope tonight we get a shakedown street. Although, I mean, that's 70s dead. But I just... For some, associate for, it with the 80s. For whatever reason, yeah, I associate that more with, with 80s dead. Right. Or I feel like A Stranger, obviously. I'd love to hear that opening. Or a Touch of Grey, Althea... Yeah. Songs like that seem like they're almost more in their wheelhouse than 
uh, well, certainly like 60s dead. Right. I mean, you did that trick before we went to the show <laughs> yeah. where there was some recent Dead & Co. performance. It was September 5th performance of the 11. Of the 11. And I tried out the old uh, run in the YouTube clip at 1.25 speed, 1.25x. Yeah. And it, it's like, I've never, I've tried it before and I've never found a clip that it works so perfectly. Like it sounds exactly like Live Dead <laughs> era 11. <laughs> what's, what's amazing to me too is that Bob's vocal even sounds normal. Right, because his voice has dropped so much. Yeah, yeah like it, it didn't sound sped up. It, didn't sound, it wasn't like a Mickey Mouse voice. It was just thing, like, oh, yeah. it just sounds like Bob Weir. <laughs> but yeah, you definitely don't want to hear just the, you know, those total acid head kick-ass late 60s stuff played by Dead & Co. It's always going to be tough to swallow, yeah. Yeah. I mean, other than Dark Star. I do hope we get a Dark... I think they could do a good Dark Star. Yeah, because that's got a lot of space. You yeah. can play that as slow as you want, and it's it's just fine. Yeah. But, I mean, so, you're right. Great atmosphere. Wrigley Field is an okay place for concerts, I would say. I, I remember being pretty skeptical about it before we... And we've seen... This is was our third show we've seen together I think, at Wrigley I think Field. for a stadium... Yeah. It's like maybe one of the best places to go. Mm-hmm. I think all stadiums are like not great yeah. for shows, but Wrigley just it just feels smaller than it is. Mm-hmm. So for a stadium, I mean, for any sports stadium, it's as small as it can get. Pretty yeah, much. yeah, I mean, it's not you know, I mean, they could have played Soldier Field for instance, right. which would have been way worse, or you know, really any other stadium I've been to feels you know because you're always going to have the issues with sound. Yeah. You're obviously not that close to the stage, um, but you know, for a stadium, it's relatively small. Uh, and again, I thought the vibes were great. I, you know, especially with the weather, it seemed like everyone had a good attitude about it. I didn't yeah. see any negativity. Didn't see. Uh, I didn't see any meltdowns. Yeah, a couple people got stretchered out, but yeah. Uh, Par for the course. Exactly. And partied Gun- out. Guns N' Roses was there the night before, so I think it was a tame, a much tamer night than the They Guns might have just Roses. found people from Guns N' Roses. <laughs> they were still there, yeah. They were like <laughs> slumped in a corner somewhere. Um, I have, I've had this thing with Wrigley Field, because I've seen, uh, let me see if I can remember, I've seen Pearl Jam there twice. I've seen Springsteen there. Saw fish there and dead and co i think that's it about half or maybe 40 percent of those shows involved rain (laughs) yeah i've never been to an outdoor venue where rain was a factor more than at wrigley field and i don't know why it's sort of a random thing but there was an issue at the pearl jam show i saw in 2013 that's a very famous like it was like a three-hour rain delay at that show i was being uh evacuated from the fish show while you were Waiting out the rain delay at the oh, look at Pearl Jam we show because Fish was in town. Two ships same. passing in the night. Yeah, exactly. It rained when I saw Springsteen, although that show wasn't stopped. Bruce just played in the rain <laughs> to born to run. It was pretty awesome. And then it rained last night. So I think tonight is supposed to just be beautiful. We have perfect weather. Tonight. So we got that out perfect of the way. Perfect September Chicago weather. Yeah, so I think we're good. I'm wondering if they're going to play a little longer. Yeah. Than maybe they did last Make night. Make it up. I mean, you know, if they, especially if they get started right at on time, mm-hmm. you know, they could do a quite a long show. That's true. So we'll see what happens. Uh, you want to set the scene? Yeah. This is Krista Makes, guitarist and vocalist for Less Than Jake and host of Krista Makes a Podcast. 
a songwriting podcast where every week I'm joined by an amazing guest to break down the writing, recording, and release of one iconic song from their career. In our giant evergreen back catalog of episodes, we've had rock legends such as Dee Snyder and Huey Lewis, punk rock favorites like Mark Hoppus, Fat Mike, and Brett Gurowitz, and up-and-coming artists of today such as Liz Stokes of The Beths and Genesis Owusu. We've had guests from all genres and styles of music, and I guarantee that if you peruse our back catalog, you'll see several episodes that'll make you say, man, I gotta hear that. Whether you're a fan of music or a creator of music yourself, you'll take away a whole new appreciation for the songs you know and love. Chris Makes a Podcast is available for free on all the places you could possibly listen to podcasts, and new episodes come out every Monday. set the scene what's uh what was culture like on september 17th yeah we all you know one of the great <laughs> things about our show is that it allows us to time travel to different eras right so what was the number one song when we were at this show last night it's uh way too sexy by drake with future and young thug have you heard this song? well so this is disappointing to me because my kids just in the last several months have gotten super into pop radio yeah. And I thought for sure I would know the number one song. I have not heard this song. I don't know if it's too dirty for the pop radio I, station. I have or a feeling it just hasn't filtered down to radio yet okay. because it's probably number one just based on streams. Didn't Drake just, just like, like gamify the, or not gamify, but like he figured out the chart algorithm and he has like numbers one through 15? Well, I feel like for any of these big albums, a lot of times this will happen. I mean, another one of the biggest songs of the year is Butter by BTS. Yeah, and I have heard that one. Their gaming the system is just like, they, their fans just buy downloads, right. which isn't really <laughs> even gaming the system. <laughs> I know like they were accused of that, right? but it's like, oh, that's just the way it used to work. Like People just support them with their dollars. Exactly. So, you know, fans they, went out and bought multiple copies of 7 Inches, right? <laughs> because I, I, cause BTS, I don't think, is a big radio band. They're, yeah. they're on here. Uh, they're, they're big singles. Have have made it to the radio now. I just wonder. I, I think though that it was. I think radio was slow to okay. embrace them. I don't yeah, th- like, like some of these artists are like driven by radio. I think radio caught up to BTS because those songs were so big. Anyway, I, I'm just imagining people listening to this pod, <laughs> this, this BTS talk. Yeah. If my son was here, if my kids are out of the house, because otherwise you would have heard from them by now. <laughs> we could have had my nine year old uh, come in to tell us. 
because the next last, we kept playing last night's Dead and Co. show. <laughs> right. So, so they all uh, my wife took them out of here as fast as she could. <laughs> we kept playing Drums in Space from last night. Uh, number one album, Certified Lover Boy, yeah. by Drake. The big Drake Kanye battle. Drake seems to be winning. Have you have you heard these new? Yeah, the albums I have not. Yeah, because you know, because other big albums right now you just mentioned Donda right. by Kanye West was the number one record before Certified Lover Boy. You have Happier Than Ever by Billie Eilish, another big record right now, and Sour by Olivia Rodrigo. That actually shot up to number one again briefly. That's the one I've heard the most from. Oh yeah, she's on that's every five the, minutes. I feel like that's probably the biggest pop record of the year. That well, Dua Lipa was last year, right? Because she's all over. Or the weekend does he even have a record, or just he just put an out album. songs? Yeah. <laughs> um, number one film: Shang Chi and the Legend of the Five Rings. Yeah. No interest. I'm a big Marvel guy. My my son and I we we do all the Marvel stuff. We haven't made it out to this one. I'm not feeling great about taking my kid to a movie theater right now. But uh, I hate Marvel movies. Wow. I hate what they represent. <laughs> wow. I hate I movies hate right now. Other other big movies right now: Free Guy. It's a Ryan Reynolds movie, Malignant, yeah. which I'm kind of curious to see, yeah, actually. Yeah, I want to see that one. We're getting into yeah. horror movies. Here. James Wan. Yeah. Uh, that's on HBO Max, okay. by the way. Candyman. The new uh, Candyman, yeah. Which, is that a remake or is that a, or a sequel? It's a sequel. It's okay. set modern day, um, a Chicago movie. Kind of interested in that. Yeah. First one's good, and the second one seems to take it in an interesting I didn't know you were a Marvel guy. Yeah, I like it. It, it's just like a great father-son activity for us. Yeah, and I've I always liked that. comics. Yeah, I liked comics when I was a kid. Now I have the, that Marvel Unlimited app. I can just read whatever comic I ever want, and it's just a fun thing for my. It's son too bad they had to ruin cinema. You know, it's too bad that Marvel had to ruin cinema. Ah, they didn't ruin cinema. There's always there's always been this. Stuff. I'm with Scorsese. Yeah, but it's like the, it's it's everything. You can't get away from it. Yeah. There's more I'm content than ever, though, too. So. Yeah, I suppose. Yeah. I'm tired of it. <laughs> You're going to have to do 36 Marvels from the vault with another co-host. Unless, unless, unless I'll just be the curmudgeon on the show. <laughs> yeah, that'd be good. Number one TV show. Of course, All in the Family. <laughs> All in the Family uh, reboot. This was like from last season, because you know, I don't think the current TV season has started yet. Okay, yeah. At number four is This Is Us and The Masked Singer. Tied number four. Number three. NFL Monday Night Football, number two, NFL Thursday Night Football, number one, NFL Sunday Night Football. How many of those did you watch, Steve? <laughs> well, I was going to say NFL is like my Marvel, I yeah, think, because yeah. you hate the NFL, right. and I hate Marvel. I hate Marvel for destroying cinema. You hate the NFL for destroying Everything human be- yeah. beings' brains <laughs> yeah. uh, and their health. Right. So... All right, we've set the scene. Now let's get into the show. Yeah, all of that is very relevant to Dead & Company, of course. So, I mean, we're going to go through this, I think, quicker than we normally would. Because, again, I mean, 
I kind of remember a lot of this stuff. Yeah. We haven't done the exhaustive research that uh, 36 from yeah. the Vault is known for. You know, and I mean, I was pretty altered by the time I was going in. I wasn't like out of my mind, but we were hanging out at a bar across the street for a while, having a, a great time. Mm-hmm. I had a great pre-show. Um, and we continued the pre-show into the stadium because it took forever for the show to start. Yeah. That's, that's the danger of these rain delays. That's what got me. Yeah, I was not going to drink inside the show, and then it's a rain delay, so why don't we go grab some beers? It's yeah. like you're, you're forcing us to drink. <laughs> Which they love. Co. Yeah, those rickets. They got me. Yep, drinking old style. <laughs> yeah, Steve, back. Steve really did the true Wrigley Field experience and had old style. I have only ever had old style at Wrigley Field. Yeah. I feel like that's... Uh, can you only buy it at Wrigley Field now? I mean, old it style. is kind of like a, a niche thing now. Yeah, it's like the the crappy beer of Wrigley. It's poisoned. It. It's poison. Croisoned. Oh, croisoned <laughs> and poisoned. <laughs> Maybe poisoned. Yeah. So they cut. They come out. We're we're excited, and then they start playing. Let the good times roll. They uh, launch. As only Dead and Company can do. <laughs> and I'll just say, look. I mean, look. We'll take. We've already taken some shots at this. Um. You're in the you're in the room though, or you're in the stadium. It's different than listening to a recording. And I I will say, I was hyped. What dampened it for me wasn't so much the song. It was the it was just the sound. It was and it wasn't very loud. The sound quality wasn't very good. And it was it was kind of muted at first. So I think if it would have been like a loud "Let the Good Times Roll," I would have. Probably had very little complaints, actually. I probably would have been rocking to it. Yeah. But it was Let the Good Times Roll that was also quiet. Right. And then subsequently Half Step, which was a very pretty and long and extended version of the song. Yeah. Uh, But again, so quiet. Yeah. It it was just hard to focus on it from where we were. I should say, by the way, Half Step, Mississippi Half Step, Uptown Tootaloo, the second uh, song of the set, the greatest Grateful Dead song of all time. (laughs) Just got to shout that out. Um, are we, are we going to skip over Good Times Roll then? Is, <laughs> I don't to, really know what to say. Should we go to half step? I mean, that, you mentioned earlier that there wasn't any real 80s dead. I kind of think of Let the Good Times Roll is like an 80s cover, right. 80s, 90s that they would play a lot. So that was maybe the one sort of late era Grateful Dead nod in this entire set, really. Yeah, you're right. Everything else is just classic 70s material. I mean, I was really hoping for... Like one of those funky '80s songs yeah. at the top. Again, I can't get a feel like a stranger from the from Dead and Co. Either. Right. Apparently, I can't get from <laughs> Dick's Picks. Everybody was calling for some sort of rain reference right. song uh, to open up, but uh, that didn't happen, uh, and that didn't really happen in the rest of the show either. We didn't get your cold rain and snow. Get, yeah, cold rain and snow would have made sense. Though. Was it it was Rob, not cold nor Rob snowy. Special. I know that would have that would have been. Uh, uh, validation of my it was theory. humid rain and no snow <laughs> last night. <laughs> exactly. Um, Mississippi Half Step, um, the longest song of the night. Yeah, surprisingly. I mean, although there were some, you know, I guess songs that were part of sequences that you could maybe say were one long song, but in terms of individual tracks, Half Step was the longest. This is one of those songs, too, that in the outro, I'll refer back to my comment about like it being so slow that it becomes mind altering. Yeah. The outro jam is so slow on here. I actually dug it. Yeah. 
I think this is at the show when you leaned in and mentioned that it sounded like slowcore. <laughs> yeah, it was so, and it went for a long time too. Yeah. The outro, I feel like, is almost half the song. Yeah, and the Rio Grandio part is like just so drawn out. Yeah, yeah, like syllable. Every syllable is given <laughs> a full five seconds to ring through the air. I mean, you know, like what they say about. I mean, Camper Van Beethoven said this once about live albums that its greatest hits played faster. Because yeah. usually when you're playing live, you, you know, I'd imagine playing in a stadium, you have so much adrenaline. It just makes you sure. play faster. So, like, how slow do you think they'd play if they weren't excited? <laughs> <laughs> or if they're, if they're just, like, in the rehearsal Would you space. you even be able to hear it? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I mean, again, I don't think we're even complaining about this. I'm, I'm, I'm sincerely marveling at how slow they play yeah i mean it's just their kind of defining feature right uh that's the first thing you notice and you almost do have to look at it as like because i think people tend to contextualize this as well they're just old and they can't help it but maybe it it really is something that they're doing on purpose yes and maybe it should be looked at that way to to be appreciated yeah for it because I maybe this is like a mind trick I'm trying to play on myself <laughs> because because it is like the, your initial instinct is just to be like yeah. like weren't they a dance band oh, in the '60s? Come on. Yeah, it's Come like on. like how are you supposed to dance to this? It's so slow. But I will say that I, I was you know I think you get lulled into not noticing it as much as the show goes on, right. and I think it hurt us a little bit that we had this you know cut short first set uh, because we didn't get a whole set to kind of ease into that. Yeah, the momentum was a little herky-jerky because of the weather, which, I mean, and we'll get into this, the second set, I think they did gain more momentum, and it was just because they were allowed to stretch. And that's just the Grateful Dead thing. They always have to kind of play themselves into Mm -hmm. the show. Next song is Bertha. Yeah, and this is where I kind of felt like they really opened, <laughs> right? Yeah. While I enjoyed the half step. Well, what, so, what song did you think this was at first? Wasn't this a song you... <laughs> I think, I, I, maybe it was just wishful thinking, but I kept thinking they were starting Stranger. Oh, right. And it's another side effect, yet again, of them playing so slow, is that it's really hard to figure out what song they're playing <laughs> for you know several seconds. It's not like you can grab it right away. Uh, right. Because there's a lot of dead songs that sound sort of somewhat similar. Uh, yeah. So if you're not getting to the theme of the song the melody or the the words very fast it can be a little confusing as to what they're playing but yeah i was really happy to hear bertha and would have taken i think you know again maybe that would have been a better opener than let the good times roll to well fire people up they kind of start with three openers they do yeah because mississippi half step was also an opener at times for the dead um yeah, get the, the good times roll. I don't know. I, the, you could have gotten rid of that one. <laughs> Just stick with Mississippi Half Step. We know the good times are rolling. We're at a yeah, Grateful exactly. Dead concert. We don't Come need on. you to tell us that. Come on. Yeah. <laughs> I almost feel like that should be at the end. Yeah. yeah. Maybe. But I guess you're, crying, you're trying to say, like, hey, we're here. We're letting the good times roll. Exactly. But I almost feel like if you send people off with Let the Good Times Roll... That means you can continue to roll the good times after the show's over. It doesn't mean that the good times are over. Yeah. Because the show's over, you can let them roll into your after bar, your after party. Yeah, roll on. I don't know. If you're listening, maybe make it the last song. I'm just saying. Um, Ran into a rainstorm, too. Is that a nod? 
Kind of the one reference to the rain that we got all night. And, of course, everybody was right on it and did a big cheer. Dead fans love cheering for relevant lyrics. So it was nice, a nice moment. Well, over lunch, we, we were talking about this. You feel like someone is making their set list. You don't think yeah. that they came up with this. You don't think Bob Weir backstage was looking at the sky and being like, yeah. I'm going to sing Bertha, and I'll sing Ran Into a Rainstorm, and people <laughs> will love that. You think it's like one of their handlers that's like whispering in their ear. I think there is like a... Uh... Uh, a behind-the-scenes person that at least comes up with the majority of the set, probably with some input from the band, but they're definitely not, you know, hunched together backstage, coming up with secret messages to tell people. Looking <laughs> at a spreadsheet, a, yeah, exactly. Of songs. Um, I think we should have like one shot at programming a Dead and Co. <laughs> set list. So yeah, I'm gonna incorporate my note about putting "Let the Good Times Roll" at the end. Yeah. I think they should have done Samba in the Rain here. <laughs> yeah, right, yeah. You know? We were right. gone for the wheel. The wheel would have been a good rain because uh, of yeah. lightning reference. That would have been good. Looks like rain. Weather report's sweet. There were a lot of ways it could have gone. They've done some rain shows. You know, the Dead did some of those in the 90s. They played the Beatles. Weather rain. report suite would have been cool. Yeah, that way we would have got both of our bad takes in one show. And then we go on to Ramble on Rose, the first song before the rain delay. And this was a song I turned to you. I did not recognize this song <laughs> because it was another song at the beginning. Because this is a slow song anyway. And it was so slow at the beginning that like like the notes were like, had like a pause between each note. So you couldn't pick up the melody. Yeah. It's like one of those like boom, boom, right. you know, like that kind of thing. It's also a, you know, a Jerry song that's now sung by Bob. Yeah. So that always takes some adjusting, uh, even yeah, if the words are the same. Like you're like, wait a second, this is not normally a Bob song. What's going on here? Yeah, and like the uh, conversation that happens at a lot of classic Dead shows, and you know, we've seen that on Dick's Picks time and again between Jerry and Bob, where Jerry would sing usually the more stately songs, more introspective songs, and then Bob would come in, and it was more about the party, and. Uh, yeah, it's more of like an introspective Bob in Dead & Co. <laughs> right. At least last night. Yeah. Yeah, he gets the big emotional moments now, which he... Yeah, the only emotion that he was conveying in the original Dead was, let's rock. Let's rock. <laughs> let's, uh, let, you know, let's hop on the horse. Right. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And let's be cowboys. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and I just have mixed emotions about that. I don't know if it's good or bad. It's just a whiplash feeling. Yeah. I think tonight we'll be more settled in with Dead & Co. and it won't be so strange. But it is a little strange coming from listening to classic Dead all the time and then you see Dead & Co. And the jean shorts guy <laughs> is now the gravitas guy. Right, exactly. Yeah, he's graduated. And then Ramble on Rose, we should say, um, it started raining again during Pouring. Ramble on Rose. Pouring. Uh, which was kind of fun in the moment because the band took the song around a few extra times, I think, and fed off the rain and everybody freaking out in the audience. Uh, so it was, you know, between Bertha and Ramble on Rose, it really felt like they were building up some nice yeah. momentum. And then, oh, yeah. of course, they had to evacuate the, the field again. <laughs> so what can you do? So drinking some beers during this rain delay. Then they come back and they do Dancing in the Street we've talked about this on the show. This is a song that I feel like they always update for every era. <laughs> yeah. And I think I said this to you last night, and this is where I maybe start to get unreliable in my critical faculties, but 
my memory of it is that this was almost like a dancey, like EDM <laughs> type dancing in the street. Sure. Was there any validity to that, or was that just? <laughs> you mentioned that to me. I I didn't really see where you're coming from on that. Okay, uh, I had just but, popped a second. But I love that, that you thought that. Yeah, I mean, you know, who knows? Who knows what was going through my head at that point? But I mean, there was a flavor to it though that. It was some more similar to like the like disco-y dancing in the in the street I think so, yeah. than like the sixties version or even like the eighties. Like I feel like the eighties version almost goes back to like the original Martha and the Vandella song. It sounds more like that. And the dancing in the street last night, and I haven't listened to it on Nugs, but I remember it being kind of dancey. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. It was. It was a as dancing typically is a big crowd pleasing. Song to, uh, yeah, thank everybody for being cooperative during the delays. Uh, it's got the dancing in Chicago line, That's which was right. another big crowd cheer. So, uh, never people in Chicago just love when you shout out Chicago. And there's a lot of That's every uh, city, right? I know, but there's like a lot of songs that shout out Chicago, right? Well, yeah, we got it's a great city, so. but you're not the city of blues, though. You're not the city of blues. No, that song would get booed. Uh, <laughs> you think that they played uh, Black Throated? People would be like. St. Louis. I could, I could see Bob changing it to Chicago. Chicago, city of blues. Although it wouldn't rhyme anymore. Yeah. Does it really rhyme? Does the St. Louis part of it rhyme with anything? St. Louis, the and city of blueies. St. Louis? No, no. And then we go into playing in the band. Which, by the way, I said this earlier, but like on Nugs, playing, uh, Dance in the Street is, is listed at the end of the first set. Yeah. That must just be a mistake because yeah, I, don't like, I don't know how you would grandfather it into the first set i mean is it really two sets too are we gonna just call yeah so they always you know so the band puts up their printed set list on twitter when they're done yeah. uh and even on that i know dancing was listed on the set two page and the set one page had a mysterious black box over all the songs they don't they want you to play, know which forgot to bring this up but i'm 90 percent sure one of those songs would have been uh our favorite bobby blues <laughs> Or at least some instance of the slide. Think so some Wang Dang. Yeah, any any Bobby Blues. We heard no Bobby Slide to my knowledge last night. Well, I had this theory: the, the it was too wet for the slide. Yeah. The stage was too wet. The slide got wet. You can't get any uh, friction yeah. on the old strings. Yeah, and you should hear how bad it is when he doesn't have any friction. Well, <laughs> I mean, it is a hot slide, as Bob has said. Oh, I think yeah. he's referred to a slide as hot yeah. on more than one of on more than one occasion. Um, but, you know, like mixing a hot slide and cold rain, I don't know, you're asking for trouble. You might get electrocuted. <laughs> That's true. And uh, we don't want that to happen. Protect Bobby at all costs. I, but I don't know if this should be counted as two sets because I understand that, you know, they had Dance in the Street originally at the top of set two, but it just feels like all, I don't know, the rain just screws it up. Yeah. yeah. It's not a natural break after the first bunch of songs. Right. But anyway... We'll go by the Nugs model, or we'll go by the Grateful Dead's <laughs> predetermined set list. Next song, playing in the band. We've talked about this a little already. I mean, we were laughing this morning <laughs> listening to the Nugs soundboard of playing in the band. It is. It, it, I mean, that I guess I am laughing at or being a little derisive about the playing in the band, just because that song doesn't feel like it should be played that slow. Yeah. I don't understand. I, I mean, I understand why it's played slow, but. I mean, it really picks up once the jam kicks in. Right. But the song part of it. And the vocals. 
I mean, the thing about playing it so slow is it gives Bob more room to ham it up. And, and, and Hammy Bob is different now, right, than he was during the Grateful Dead's heyday. Because yeah. he's more of like a grizzled, yeah. like a salty ham. Right. <laughs> Old salted ham. Right. Uh, but he still is, you know, putting all sorts of weird embellishments on his vocals. Maybe he should put some falsetto, too. Yeah, playing in the band normally is, you know, played so briskly that he's just got to, like, spit it out. He can't really play around with it like he can with like a looks like rain outro or something but no he 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 milks every <laughs> everything he can out of the words at this pace i feel like you're gonna have to go at least 1.5 if not 2.0 <laughs> to get to dead like 70s dead speed and then it's only gonna be like three minutes long because what was it was eight minutes I think? it was eight minutes yeah. and most of it is the jam i think they go into the jam around 2 30 and then it's jam, and and again, it's Mayer and Comenti, really. Yeah. They they take over, and uh, yeah, Jeff is doing some really cool stuff on piano. I mean, you and I, we both appreciate Jeff because we've talked about this in other episodes that keyboardists in the Grateful Dead often aren't given the space to shine, or maybe they're not mixed high enough where you can hear what they're doing. Yeah. And in Dead and Co, Jeff is right there, and he's doing really cool stuff on the piano. So that, I would say, actually is a big plus of the band, yeah. just like what he's doing. He also combines the strengths of like multiple keyboardists from the Dead's past. Like His piano playing is a little Keith-like. He can do sort of the Brent organ. He can mix in some synth where appropriate. Uh, so that's really nice, especially as like a, a group that is sort of exploring the long history of a band that he can be kind of a chameleon like that but i also think and that's what jumped out at me at that bob and phil show is that he can uh he's got his own voice to things too and really contributes a lot so yeah i i love love listening to what he's doing at these shows it's he's he's a highlight for me and again where we were sitting sometimes we couldn't hear him as much and then other times he was like super loud Mm -hmm. in the mix and it was just whatever whichever way the wind was blowing (laughs) Sometimes the wind blew the piano towards us, and the other times it was blowing it to, uh, you know, right field. Um, from there, we're going to Scarlet Begonias, big crowd pleaser. Um, this is where things start to get a little hazy for me. <laughs> okay. I remember enjoying this. Yeah. It was really, you know, I, especially the jam part. I thought Mare was doing some cool stuff. This was kind of like the... This was like the heart of the show. Yeah, I think this is my favorite stretch here. It was Scarlet Deal, Fire. So they got a little bit playful with the set list and yeah. then go straight into Fire. They stuck a deal in there. Uh, and, and the deal was like the fastest song of the night. Yeah, absolutely. It was uh, maybe not up-tempo in objective terms, but <laughs> in relative terms. Yeah. <laughs> and it was an interesting placement for it. You think, you know, obviously it's put between the Scarlet and the Fire. Also, Deal is often the set one closer. Mm-hmm. So I remember <laughs> I turned to you when Deal kicked in and I said, oh, it's U.S. Blues. Because yeah. I was in the best frame of mind. It also sounded a little bit like U.S. No, Blues. No, I think, beginning. yeah, I agreed with you. And then it turned out to be Deal. It could and have then, been day job. I, I think it was literally like four minutes later after he had said Deal <laughs> like a dozen times. <laughs> and I was like, oh, wait, it's Deal. Oh, yeah. <laughs> like, oh, I got it you now. You said wave that flag even once, yeah. My brain, you know, and look, we keep talking about the tempo of the band. The tempo of my brain at this point was a little slow as well. So, you know, could have been me too. Um, then we go into Fire on the Mountain. What 
O'Teal sings. Yeah, O'Teal. I didn't know that. That was a nice surprise. Yeah, I I, I knew he did that, and that's like what else does he sing? He uh, sang "Ship of Fools" is the one I know. Okay. I'm trying to think of. And yeah, and I think we talked. Did we talk about this already? I think we talked about this at the top of the episode. Just O'Teal. Did we talk about O'Teal yet? A little bit. We said we liked him, and he's a, yeah. a, a just like a real positive dude over there. Yeah, <laughs> got a good vibe to him, and yeah. again. He, I understand why he's not singing, although I feel like it's more of a hierarchy issue in the band, yeah. more than a vocal prowess issue, because there's other songs I think that he could sing and do a good job with. I mean, he's got a nice, sweet, creamy voice, which I think would be a good fit for a lot of those Jerry ballads. Yeah. But maybe the audience would want Bob to sing those, because it's more... Of a connection to the original band. Yeah, I think that's a thing, yeah. which we get a, a case of later in the show. But yeah, uh, yeah. So that Scarlet Deal Fire, you also got Bob singing Scarlet. Yeah. You get Mayor singing Deal, and O'Teal singing Fire. So it's kind of yeah. fun to spread it around a little bit. All of them had none of the jams last night were lengthy, and that might have been watching the clock. Right. Uh, but all of those jam, all of those songs had nice, you know tidy three or four or five minutes of improv right. that I thought were pretty good. Fire on the Mountain even had sort of a interesting theme right before they steered it into the end of the song. But it's because it's like you don't, I don't think you'd go to Dead & Co. and expect, you know, as the Fish fans would say, type two jamming, right? Right. It's not, they're not coming up with new melodies out of nowhere well, very often. Really, you'd be looking for that into the next part of the show, which right. is the drum space. It, it feels like it gets segregated in that section. And, okay, so going into drums, time to, you know, cop to something here. <laughs> Not proud of this. And I'll take the blame for this because I, 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 I was driving this and then you said you'd come with me. I've been drinking beer for about three or four hours at this point and I had not had any water and my throat was parched. So I was like, I got to get a bottle of water. Yeah. And I was also starving. Uh, so we went to go, we hit the concession stand during drums yeah, the cliche yeah, deadhead uh, thing that we've pushed against. I feel bad. The podcast many times. I feel awful. We bathroom breaked, more or less. Drum space. And it really, it just had to do with the place. I was waiting for someone to come around and sell water. And no one was doing it. So I missed, so we missed part of, I mean, we missed, I think, all of drums for the most part. Yeah. Drums wasn't that long. It was only about eight minutes. And I don't know if that's typical for Dead & Co. Yeah, drums? that seems a little on the short side, yeah. I think it gives a little more room to run, usually. But we did catch space, and I don't have many memories of space, because I think <laughs> I was concentrating on my hot dog and french fries. Right. I was just devouring my food at that point and just gulping down water while, you know, there was like, going on in the background. It was very psychedelic. Right. Food concessions. Um, do you have any... Memories of space? I don't. No. no, no, no real specifics. That's my goal for tonight: is to uh, hang in. Hang, yeah, give uh, drums and space a little more attention that deserves. My goal is to focus on drum and space, and also to hydrate more <laughs> yeah. consistently. Stay hydrated, so I don't have a hydration emergency. Uh, missing from this set list that I copied over is that they came out of space into a planned reprise, which is kind of nice. So even though yeah. it was a short plan from before. We got the old, you know, 
playing in the band bookends. Yeah. They could have held it for uh, Tonight Show, I guess, which would have been cool. But uh, instead, yeah, it just kind of wrapped up this whole, the strongest part of the night, I think. Yeah. Uh, giving it the sort of thing we talk about where, was it an hour long playing in the band yeah. just with a bunch of other songs in between? Or was it uh, yeah. too short playing in the band bookends? Let's call it that. Yeah. yeah. Let's call it that. And then, because from there... We're going into the sort of typical closing. Although, you know, it's because, yeah, you have the play and reprise, and then you go into All Along the Watchtower, which is fine. I mean, I th- that was another instance where I think if we had just heard this as a recording, you might roll your eyes at hearing this very well worn Dylan cover mm-hmm. at that time. But in the moment, I actually appreciated it again, kind of being a good shot in the arm type song it was like one of the rockers mm-hmm. of the night gives mayor a lot of room to solo yes and then we go into morning dew which i feel like would you know you usually come into that from space yeah uh, morning dew you know it's a set closer sometimes too um but this was the song that you and i felt a little weird about yeah with bob assuming the jerry roll yeah i liked it i like i like how he handles the vocals on morning dew Reminds me a little bit, at Fairly Well, I kind of went through the same thing where I wasn't used to Bob singing these songs, these Jerry songs. Yeah. Um, and on the closing night of Fairly Well, he did Days Between. Oh, yeah. Uh, with Bob singing. And I actually really liked it a lot. thought it was very, very emotional. Well, and that almost feels like a direct nod to Jerry, which mm-hmm. is... Uh, it has like a, that hits differently emotion. It has like a different emotional feel, I think. I mean, I liked him doing Morning Dew, too. It was just, again, it, it was the Tim Allen Santa Claus <laughs> phenomenon for me. I was like, okay, so you're, you're Jerry now. Right, yeah. And, uh, and it's just like, yeah, who's going to be the next white beard, white haired person right. in this band? And we go into Not Fade Away. Which I felt like, I don't know, that was a little bit of Gild and the Lily. I think you could have just walked off with Dew, right? Do is a hard song to follow up. I think he needed another song in there, though. Yeah, you wouldn't have just ended it at do. Well, I think it was such a weird set, like a weird show because of the weather. Right. I mean, unless you put Not Fade Away before Morning Dew. But they had to do the Not Fade Away. It just seemed like a little bit off because people were doing the clapping, and it didn't really take off. And then like people were doing it uh, in between the set and the encore. It's like people started doing it, and then... More people just started clapping. <laughs> yeah. like the show was over. It didn't really, uh, didn't really carry over. So, so I just felt like, oh, maybe there's a lot of people here who don't know about the <laughs> not fade away clapping. It's true. It seemed like that. You would have to, you know, be old and have listened to old tapes. It just seemed like people were like, do. why are they clapping rhythmically? We clap. <laughs> and, you yeah, know, this is how we clap. This is yeah. how we clap to end the show. And then, um, they, you know, they, they leave. People are doing the not fade away clap, or they're trying to, and they come back out and they do ripple. Yeah, and this is another Jerry song that that Bob sang, although Mayor was on it too. Mm-hmm. They all kind of sing it in unison. Yeah, super charming. Yeah, loved it. Yeah. I mean, it's a great song, and a lot of people were singing along to it in the stadium, which I thought was pretty moving. Mm-hmm. You know, again, this is like a song that you might see like if you just were listening to the recording. You might go, "Oh, that's fine," but it was. I was pretty my my heart was warmed being in the stadium and just hearing this song it's beautiful and hearing everyone sing along to it it just felt very communal yeah yeah i uh it it seems like ripple they didn't play it much they had the full grateful dead 
Uh, but it, they seem to play it a lot in all their various post-Jerry projects, which I think is nice. It's a great song and just like a nice uh, sing-along punctuation on a show. So when I went to Phil's restaurant and saw him perform there, that was the only Grateful Dead song he played. Uh, it was at the very end. He played Ripple. I think Bob and Phil might have played it at the show I saw too. So it's become like a, uh, a thing I see whenever I see a post-Jerry dead band. You know, like when you see Phil's restaurant, I just imagine Phil with like a dish rag over his shoulder, <laughs> yeah. and he's like wiping the counter. Yeah, he's like, "Hey, son, you wanna, you want the, you want the usual? Right? You want the blue plate special? You want me to play Ripple? While yeah. You <laughs> <laughs> All right, son. Yeah, we were talking last night about like what we were just wondering what Phil thinks of this whole thing, yeah. and if he would ever show up. Right? Has he has he done anything with Dead Co? No, he stays away. But he's getting some cash on the side. I'm he sure. must be. Yeah, I'm sure he gets a cut. But I don't, I don't know. I don't even know if he thought it would go on this long. I don't know if anybody thought it would go on this long. Because this is what? You were talking about this six or seven years now? Well, they started right after Fairly Well. Yes. Yeah, they went years. on a fall tour. Yeah. We should get Phil on the show and ask him about, about Dead & Co. <laughs> that would be a hot, hot interview. Be like, like we'll, we'll send him a Dead & Co. show and... We'll just all review it together. Yeah, you think Phil would be into that? <laughs> Maybe we'll do that because we're about to pause now because we got to go to get downtown. Or is it downtown? It's not downtown. It's like south side of Chicago. See to go to Wrigley Field well, and hang out. It's a north side. It's all kind of downtown. Oh, it's north side. Yeah. <laughs> in uh, Chicago, we call everything. All right. This, I call every, I, I, everything in Chicago. I say it's on the south side. Yeah. The south side of Chicago. Yeah, that would be the Sox Park. I don't know who's playing there today. Um, we're about to pause so we can get down there, see the show tonight, and then we'll next thing you hear, we'll be back recording and talking about the Saturday night show. Yep. But maybe we'll uh, be able to flag down Phil by then. <laughs> we talk about the Saturday Night Show. Bring him along tonight, yeah. All right. What is a city without its music? The legacy of the New York Philharmonic is incredible. Nearly two centuries of history. That's a lot of music and a lot of stories. I was sitting on stage for the very first time thinking, I can't quite believe this is happening. Join me, Jamie Bernstein, as we explore the history of the New York Philharmonic. It's the NY Phil Story Made in New York, a podcast about a city, its people, and their orchestra. Listen wherever you get podcasts. We are back here with part two, where we're going to be talking about the Saturday night, September 18th, 2021 show at Wrigley Field by Dead & Co. Right. Rob and I are no longer in the same space, sadly. Nope. Back in our native environment, looking at digital versions of each other. Yep. 
we're, we're back to alienation. The, uh, the, the communal vibe of the weekend is gone. Now we're just right. trying to relive it. Uh, and, uh, we're, we're covered, I think. We're uh, in a little better place than we were Saturday, probably, when we recorded. That's How true. How are you feeling, Steve? Are you back? I'm good. I'm good. I, you know, I, I left Sunday morning. I had a six-hour drive back home. Feel good. Uh, we didn't hit it as hard Saturday night. I think we were no. smarter about it Saturday night. I, I I was definitely more strategic with the substances I was imbibing, so right. I, I I wasn't overloading. Yeah, exactly. We I think maybe went a little too hard. Uh, the release of you know being back at a big concert after the pandemic, uh, maybe we 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 pushed it a little. I think the rain delay like screwed us up because yeah. you know you had to wait an extra hour for them to come on. 40 minutes, you know, during another rain delay. I mean, what are we supposed to do? Not drink beer <laughs> during that time? Right, exactly. Uh, come on. We're just going to sit on our hands? Come on. So, yeah, we partied during the rain delays, and I think it caught up with us. But, yeah, Saturday night, we were pleasantly altered. We weren't, you know, sloppy. And is it fair to say that the dead was not sloppy either Saturday night? I mean, I thought, I mean, we'll just, we'll spoil our alert here, our, our part two of our episode that, I thought the dead, dead and co was. I thought they were way better Saturday night. Yeah, I mean the dead, the dead are never not sloppy. <laughs> so I wouldn't go too far, but no, Saturday night was a, a huge improvement over the first night. Uh, just really, just a really great show all around. Like Friday night, you know, maybe sort of met my expectations uh, in both good and bad ways, and I was kind of just trying to vibe with it and. Not be too critical, but uh, Saturday night surpassed my expectations by far. I mean, it's it's never going to be like it was when they were the Grateful Dead in like the old days. But this actually got closer to that than I ever would have imagined possible uh, from the current incarnation of the Dead. Yeah, I agree. I, I had a great time. It was a great set list, but I also thought that they played uh, better on Saturday night. And yeah, about as it was about as good as I think you could hope for. It was, it was just a, like a really fun show. And you know, one thing I want to talk about quick was you know during the friday night show i i sent out a tweet on the the 36 from the vault account about the band playing slow and i think i said something like you know it like it it breaks time you know that's how (laughs) slow they're playing and i honestly i mean i was being a little jokey with that but i mean i really meant it as a quantitative statement not a qualitative statement meaning that i was describing how i felt the music sounded and in that respect, not really rendering a value judgment on it. Um, but I know some people took it as a slam. Because I think for some people, slow means bad. Slow is, does not denote speed, which speed is value neutral. Speed can, right. you know, something slow can be great or it can be bad, depending on the song. Yeah. Um, well, but, but I know some people were offended by it. But I don't know. Like To me, I feel like by the second night, I don't know. They, they seem to be playing... Or brisk, but I also feel like I was more used to their metabolism the second night. Right. We talked about this a little bit the first night that you, it, it, it's like they don't meet you halfway. <laughs> they they kind of bring you down to their pace. And if you give into it, it's a much more enjoyable experience. I mean, maybe that's that's probably too harsh because I do feel like they met us halfway on the second night. The, some of the songs were played. You know, yeah, relatively bl- briskly. I don't know if I would call it up tempo in sort of an objective sense, but it was like at least you know some some dynamics in terms of tempo uh, between the fast songs and the slow songs. Um, yeah, no, I think 
Ted and co-defenders are just very sensitive about the S word. Right. <laughs> about, about calling them dead and slow, about talking about, like, we were talking about the YouTube trick where you can, you know, speed up the the playback and it sounds more like the, the real Grateful Dead and, you know, all those things. But yeah, I mean, it's like, and, and that's a, it, it's a roadblock for me too. Like always been an obstacle, like how slow they pay, play when I listen to it uh, at home. But, you know, live, I think you just eventually like accept it and start to enjoy it. And it worked in some places very well on Saturday night. There were a couple places that I thought, yeah, maybe it wasn't my preference and we'll talk about it. But uh, yeah, I just, uh, I started to appreciate it, I think, and and yeah, people shouldn't uh, jump down our throats about it. <laughs> yeah, again, because look, you can't argue that they're not slow. They are slow, but right. to say that they're slow, it can be a compliment or it can be a put down. And and, and, right. and for the most part, you know, I think that one thing I appreciate about Dead and Co is that they're not trying to replicate something from the past. I do feel like this band has a way of playing these songs that's pretty unique to mm-hmm. them, and there were versions. T- uh, on Saturday night, especially that I thought I appreciated because it didn't sound like old dead, that it was like kind of different. It was like, I've, cause like I've heard those old dead versions right. many times. And if I want to hear them, I can go back and listen to the tapes, but there were certain songs on Saturday night that I thought like, wow, I've heard this song a lot, but I've never heard it quite like this. So on that level, I really appreciated it. I got to address one thing too, that's come up in our mentions that I find yeah. a little odd which is, you know, when we talked about going to Dead & Co., this was like even before the shows, you know, just the week leading up to the shows. We would get all these replies from people who were like, you know, I, I would never go see Dead & Co., you know, go see J-Rad. Like, all these people were telling us to go see J-Rad instead right. of go to the... It's like, dude, we already bought the tickets. Like, we're not going to go see <laughs> J-Rad this weekend. They're not even playing this weekend, at least not right. by us. We're going to go see Dead & Co. But, you know, and look, I like J-Rad. They're a really good band. I like listening to their recordings. But I do find it odd that there are, there are people that are like pitting J-Rad against Dead & Co. <laughs> like you got to pick one or the other. Because if that's the case, why would you take J-Rad? You know, <laughs> I understand they play faster. But the actual people who are in the dead are in Dead & Co. There are, there's going to be a J-Rad in five years. You know, right. there, There'll be a J-Rad in ten years. Or at least an equivalent to J-Rad. Some other great tribute band. But like... Who knows how long Bobby, Billy, and uh, Mickey are going to be around, you know? Right. I mean, those guys are in their 70s. Who knows if we're going to be able to see them in 5, 10 years? Well, we were talking one night about seeing the Rolling Stones this right. fall. And how, you know, we'd, if you were waiting to see them, well, now you missed your chance to see them with Charlie Watts. And so the same thing goes for the dead. Like, if you pass on this, there may not be a, a Bob next time around. So, yeah, you got to take advantage of it. And, you know... and. We've talked about this before. I don't know if we talked about it on the show, but we were talking about it this weekend. That a fascinating wrinkle about the Grateful Dead is that I can't think of another band or artist that competes with their own tribute bands, right? You know, because there are people out there who would rather see J Rad than uh, Dead and Co. or or maybe even Phil and Friends. I mean, there were people that were like, I prefer Phil and Friends to Dead and Co. And then that, I'm like, okay, I understand that. And yeah. Phil and Phil played this weekend, that weekend too, which I thought was fascinating. I, I mean, you know, he knows that they're on tour. I just wonder right. 
like if there's any weirdness with that. I'm sure he there was is. in Colorado, I guess. So you know, yeah, not there, nearby. It's not like yeah. he was playing up the street or anything. But yeah. no one's taking anyone. No, no one's taking money out of anyone's pocket there. But still, it's right. a little interesting that they were playing at the same time. But yeah. um, and again, nothing against J Rad because I think J Rad's great. But and look, the, I mean, the reality is, is that you don't have to pick. You can go see right. Dead and Co. You can go see J Rad. Go see Phil and Friends. It's all mm-hmm. great music. Um, but you know, you don't like you brought up the Rolling Stones. Like the Stones are going on tour this fall. No one is saying like, "Oh, I'm going to go see Sticky Fingers, the the local Stones cover <laughs> band, instead of the Stones." You know, because right. you know they they play Brown Sugar faster than the real Stones. <laughs> yeah. You know, like no one is saying right. that. It, that only happens with the Grateful Dead, and uh, I just find that fascinating because again. There's going to be a lot of time to see Grateful Dead tribute bands down the road. But, like, right. the actual guys, they're precious commodities here. You, know, you you don't have as much time to see them as you might think. So, right. you know, I think it's worth, even if you have quibbles about how they're playing, I think it's worth appreciating that, you know? Like, wow, we get to see this. It's cool. And I know I felt that, yeah. you know, on the weekend. It's like, oh, that's Bob Weir. You know, he's playing these songs. It's, it's amazing. Yeah, so lay off us on the J-Rad. <laughs> yeah, we like J-Rad. No shots at yeah. J-Rad. And look, J-Rad, come to the Midwest. They never come yeah, exactly. to our cities. I would go I see. I would see them more if they actually left the coasts. Right? Yeah, they only, they only play the coasts in Colorado and places like that. They never come to the got hippies Midwest. here. We had 70,000 hippies in Wrigley Field. Come on, J-Rad. Come on, man. Come on, J-Rad. Like, you know, all, like, all these people in our mentions are saying, go see J-Rad. So right. we'll go see J-Rad if you come here. Yeah. Um, do we want to talk about your chomper issues that uh, occurred at Saturday <laughs> night? Rob had yes. Major League Chompers next to him. Right. Yeah, we had uh, sort of a, a group of, let's say, maybe casual deadheads. I don't want to cast aspersions. on They had, They talked to me a lot about fish, so they, they see fish a lot. But, yeah, they were in a chatty mood. It was two guys, two cousins who... One of, I had one of them for the first set and the other one for the second set. And thankfully, the first one, soon after chomping at me, started went on a rant about how ridiculous it, are, it is that there are anti-vaccination deadheads saying, you know, he got the vaccine as soon as he could. And he didn't see why nobody, people would not get the vaccine because I was getting a little bit stressed about somebody, you know, yelling in my ear <laughs> when I was uncertain about their uh, vaccination status. So that was a relief. Um, we... You know, I, I kind of tried to do the usual, like, nonverbal uh, shushing, which is just to, like, you know, smile and nod and close my eyes and look like I'm really feeling the music and not really in a mood to talk, but... That's like the soft piss-off, you know? Like, right. you're telling someone to piss off, but, like, in a very nice way. The, the non-confrontational deadhead way, right? Uh, right. But they, they, they didn't really quite pick up on that. Uh, so, thankfully, there was sort of an older couple in front of us. They, they looked like, a lot like my in-laws, actually, sort of like 60s-ish couple. Uh, and the woman of that couple at one point in the first set... Uh, stepped up and, and told him all to shut up, basically. <laughs> and so we were very happy with that. Yeah, she told off the first chomper, which is gr- that's like the biggest relief in the world to me. Like when you don't have to be the one that does it, but you benefit yeah. from the exactly. person. That, she was like the fill there, really. You know, she got she was she got she had to be the cop, and we were like you know Bobby and Jerry. Right. Like, we're just benefiting. Like we were like oh yeah, bring Bob Dylan into the Grateful Dead. Yeah, that's cool with us. You know, 
like the, the chomper is saying that and then no phil yeah. comes along and says no that's a terrible idea we're not doing that and, right. and we're both quietly relieved that uh didn't happen but then uh, by the way like the first chomper he uh he accidentally spit in my face at one point i don't think i told <laughs> yeah. you that because he yeah. went to go get a beer and uh you know he had to sidle by me and he goes like right in my face and he's like we're back and like uh-huh. he like spit yeah, a little spittle. And it wasn't like in a taunting way. It was just like, you know, hey, buddy, we're back. And I was like, oh, dude. Yeah. yeah. I was like, you better you better be vaxxed, my friend. Exactly. The kind of thing that would have just been gross before, but now I'm like, oh, this is, this is bad. This yeah, is I know. <laughs> this, this could set up a chain reaction. Uh, but then, yeah, then his cousin was there, and he was also a chomper. Yeah. He was yeah. talking to me about baseball baseball stadiums yeah. whether Wrigley Field was a dump or not how Miller Park was better than Wrigley Field and it was like uh, was, it was it what was it was that like during eyes or estimate it was like during estimated like, I think it was uh, yeah so it a was serious like, moment of the show too yeah. right like there was some cool moments where it was just yap central from from those dudes but you know we we made it through yeah I rolled with it it was fine it's part of the show it happens exactly well, we're talking about fan interactions. We met the the guy before the show. We met a couple people at set break. It was great to meet fans, and we're sorry we didn't get any sort of formal meetup together. It was tough because we didn't really want to go into a crowded bar, uh, given everything that was going on. We were trying to be as safe as possible, and uh, it was hard to find a good outdoor hang at uh, in Wrigleyville, which was very busy on Saturday. But uh, just yeah, just wanted to say it, that it we appreciate been... the people who came and said hi. Uh, one guy came and said that he had spent sixty hours listening to us, which I think is what we figured out was the the sum total of thirty six from the vault so far. So uh, yeah, just we appreciate that. Hopefully, in a future year where there's not a ongoing pandemic, we can. Uh, throw something a little bit uh more organized outside of a wrigley show or somewhere else maybe even minneapolis we'll see if they ever get up to the the northern states well i was gonna ask you this and i don't know if we want to answer this now or at the end of the episode right but like would you see dead and co again Ooh, yeah Let, that's the final topic let's leave that to the okay end. that's a cliffhanger all right you you can you can wait to the end to uh <laughs> to figure that out yeah but uh it's an interesting question well let, let's get into the set here. sure with like what it's kind of the iconic dead and company song weirdly right i mean it has the whole backstory of how it got john mayer into the band uh and it's right. like one of the songs that sounds the best when they play it i think and it's althea was the opener uh and it sounded great i mean it was like right off the bat it just felt like a much more normal and like uh, positive show than the night before and again like there was some more 80s uh yeah, in, uh, in the second set, yeah, yeah. Touch of Grey coming at the end. Still, like not as much as I would have expected. 
and not as much as I might have liked. You know, we didn't get a shakedown street, which is which is a bummer. Mm. I got denied. I feel like a stranger again. I want to see the next Dead Dead and Co show, like the set list. I bet they play Feel Like a Stranger. I bet right. I bet they're and gonna... Jed. Yeah. <laughs> well, you know, yeah, they didn't play Tennessee Jed. I was a little disappointed. Yeah, we wanted it. With to, to all you Jed defenders out there, we we thought we earned it, but uh, if only for the no, content, they, we wanted it for the podcast it. content. It would have exactly. been fun to talk yeah. about on the show, but they didn't play Jed. Um, they didn't play any Barry. We got no Barry either. Oh, yeah. So there was. Uh... I guess they're not listeners of the show. We were hoping that they were avid listeners and would troll us knowing that we were in the audience, but uh, we only had one trolling moment later on. I think <laughs> I, I think a Tennessee Jed tease would have been appropriate uh, if, right. if they were fans of the show. They're probably not, but uh, you know, a little bit of a tease by Mayor and like a wink that would have been <laughs> yeah. that would have been cute. Yeah. Then we went into Uncle John's uh, band right after that, and. Uh, one thing I thought was curious, I think I said this to you at the show, is that with Dead & Company, they don't necessarily ad- adhere to the setless formulas that we're used to listening to Dick's Picks, where you're accustomed to certain songs coming at moments in the set. And I feel like Uncle John's band is usually on those Dick's Pick shows, it, it's at the end, or it's an mm-hmm. encore. So it was a little like, oh, wow, it's coming up second. Yeah. No, it was a very front-loaded set. Uh, because we had Uncle John's band here, and then we had He's Gone afterwards. Uh, I mean, Althea is more of your traditional opener, I guess. But then we had two songs that had, you know, pretty extended jams. Sun was setting. Big giant full moon was coming up. Oh, yeah. Beautiful uh, full night. It was night. just beautiful. These very, like, you know. And, and this is where that slow, rich, dead and company sound actually pays off pretty well. I mean, both songs were uh, leisurely paced i would say but uh, you know in kind of like a warm enveloping way i thought and again the sound being so much better helped because like we weren't like you know squinting our ears to hear what they were doing it just felt like a very nice like easing into the into the night and uh yeah night and day compared to the first night and then came brown-eyed women and you went to the bathroom yes sorry at the beginning of this but like you were able to get back pretty quick we had a we had, we had a like i think the second night this is another good thing about the second night was that we figured out that there was a bathroom right by us that was <laughs> never crowded so you could yeah so you could just zip over there and zip back and you were gone like two minutes maybe i, I drank a big old iced coffee before this show so i did have to bathroom break brown-eyed women i should have held it for one more song oh yeah <laughs> because I, the next song is a big one though actually i'm glad i was there well it would have normally been the traditional bathroom break moment i don't want to brag but <laughs> oh, that's right i forgot that you did pull it off. yeah because <laughs> next came little red rooster and yeah. and i think i was like you know i heard the first couple notes and it sounded a little bluesy and i was like is this bobby blues and then yeah on cue there was like a there was a close up of uh, Bob's slide like on the jumbotron <laughs> and I was like Bobby Blues and I shot out I right. think there was like literally smoke coming out of my heels well yeah because I, I I like turned to laugh with Steve that he was playing Little Red Rooster and all I saw was like a Steve shaped cloud like a cartoon I, because he had like darted down the stairs to the bathroom well I, because <laughs> I knew that there were a lot of other people that were going to be doing this and I was like yeah yeah I yeah. gotta you know because yeah that was what is that that's the the fifth song in right so people already have to go to the bathroom maybe they wanted to that's go that's real full bladder women. time of the first set. yep 
So then Bob, really, it's a it's a gift that he's playing Little Red Rooster. Maybe he knows, okay, I got to give these people a break. <laughs> got to play Little Red Rooster. So I shot to the bathroom and I shot back. So like I oh. I got I saw mo- I so I really didn't miss it. I just No, that there was plenty of rooster to go around. Plenty of rooster. You could have gone. A, you could have. We could have done four bathroom breaks and still uh, heard heard parts of it. Uh, I'm glad we were there to share the Bobby oh, yeah. slide solo, which is everything we dreamed of. And you tweeted about this, and it was a very popular tweet about how I was in heaven. Uh, I don't know if that's the way the exact phrasing I would have used, but uh, it was uh, an ir- irreproducible experience hearing that. Uh, those those slide skills live uh, i can't wait to hear i haven't listened to the show back yet but i cannot wait to hear that tape and uh i think maybe we'll be able to do clips in this show i'm not sure but uh yeah it was it was really something Yeah, I mean, again, that's another instance of like when you're there, it just hits differently. I was enjoying it, <laughs> and, and and it helped that the show started off so well. I should say quickly, we didn't talk too much about Brown Eyed Women, but I thought that was an example of them playing again, upbeat. A, yeah, pretty upbeat and brisk. Like yeah. that was a really good tempo and a great version of it. That's like one of the like first set highlights for me actually was that song mm, yeah I, it was quite good i thought it came off well um the next song i feel like you and i disagree with, with each other a bit it's jack straw and, right. and you were you were uh teasing this earlier this was your tempo issue of the night yeah right? I mean, the, the Dead & Company Jack Straw is extremely slow, and they kind of insert a jam between every verse. There's, like, an intro jam first, and and then there's, like, every between every verse, they, like, spend a couple minutes, you know, again, I hate this word, but sort of noodling about. I don't know, Jack Straw, it, 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 it you know, they, they took a risk here, and I think that was why you liked it better than I did, that it was actually, like, a rearrangement instead of just the dead played slower. Uh, I don't know, Jack Straw to me just like hits, you know, as like a really urgent song. It's just such a great opener, builds up to a great crescendo. Uh, those are all the things that you lose when you play it a lot slower. So like you, I appreciated that they tried to do something different because they were never going to play, a, you know, early 70s uh, quality Jack Straw. Uh, but it, it, it kind of put me to sleep. It sounded, it was a little bit like uh, Slow Friend of the Devil versus Fast Friend of the Devil to me, where it was like they just took a completely different tack. And maybe if I heard it a lot more, I would get used to it. But in the moment, I was just like, oh, Jack Straw is not the song I want to hear in slow motion. See, I, yeah, I feel like, I mean, I love Jack Straw. This would probably, this would be like a top 10 Grateful Dead song for me. But I've heard, I've heard lots of Jack Straws before. I never heard one quite like this. So I appreciated it on that level. I think if it had been more in that 70s style or 80s style, 
I actually think that would have been more boring because eh, we've heard <laughs> that so many times. But this was a different take on it. And I did like the jamminess of it. I liked the more languid opening before you get to the opening line and the little jammy interludes in the middle of the song. I thought that was all pretty cool. I mean, it's not my favorite version of the song, but I thought that was an example of like Dead & Co., not just replicating the past. It's taking this song mm-hmm. that they've played a million times and trying to do something different with it. So I appreciated it uh, on that level. After that, we do get to rock again with the last song of the first set. Uh, the inevitable uh, One More Saturday one more Night. Saturday I was just night. happy that they played it here instead of at the end of the show. Right. Because... If, if you know Bobby's going to play it at some point, but I was really hoping it wasn't going to be the encore just because, eh, you know, the song is fine, but it's not the the ending I would have wanted, I guess. I liked the ending we got a lot better. Yeah, it was a good, I thought it was a good first set closer. Like you said, it mm-hmm. was, there was something, it felt a little obligatory. Um, I'm sure that there were people there that would have even been disappointed if they didn't play this. <laughs> sure. You know? Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, I think it's a good spot for it. It, and, at the end of the first set, you want something a little more rocking, anyway. You know, it's in mm-hmm. it's in the it's in the deal slot, but yeah, but they played deal on Friday night, so they can't play deal here again. Uh, mm-hmm. So yeah, I thought it came off well. Um, yeah, I I think we're getting a ton of one more Saturday night in our final season of Dick's Picks. It looks like it's right. going to really be hitting us because we didn't really get a whole <laughs> lot of that song. And it was cut out of... Well, only one version in the first yeah, yeah. three seasons of the show. So and then, yeah, and then, we're about to get pummeled with it. Yeah, it's going to be a week of Saturday nights for us <laughs> in the fourth season of 36 from the Vault. Now we go to the second set. And this was... I mean, they really went out on a high here. Uh, yeah. I mean, is it, fair, is it fair to say that like each successive set over the week, you know, the four sets, like, it just got better yeah. and better? Yeah. I, I have no objection to that at all. Yeah. It definitely seems like they just got warmer and warmer. Uh, we should say that it was the last show of their summer tour. They're picking up the fall tour again in just a few weeks, I think. But uh, they felt real. It felt like a last show of tour sort of energy, right? Yeah. Like they all felt a little bit silly and relaxed. Uh, Mayor especially seemed to be like shimmying around a lot. Uh, he had an awesome shirt on doing... too. It was like, uh... <laughs> yeah. It was like a Kalua t-shirt. Kalua Olympics champion Chicago right. challenge. Like a thrift store shirt. Yeah. And then some sweatpants that probably cost $6,000. Right. Very, <laughs> very fancy looking sweatpants. It was almost like yeah. he kind of brought the sob rock vibe with his uh, ensemble, I feel like. Yeah, a little bit. A little bit of say. like 80s kitsch, you know? Yeah. Like he brought that into the Grateful Dead arena and... Uh, I wonder, like, just extrapolating Dead and Company, like, if, you know, assuming a, a scenario like where John Mayer, as we were speculating earlier, like, he becomes the Santa Claus at some point. He gets the white beard right. and white yeah. hair. If there will be sort of like this, um, you know, ironic, almost like vaporwave sensibility that seeps more into the Grateful <laughs> Dead, you know? Like, where it's more of like a yeah. self-aware type humor and how they present themselves yeah i was thinking about that a little bit because i can't imagine anyone else in the grateful dead like wearing a ironic t-shirt well it's funny because they like they anticipated that 
unironically, right? I'm thinking of like Phil wearing like t-shirts with dolphins on it right. in the 80s. But he like, like but he, the... he wasn't doing it like, oh, it's a funny shirt to have dolphins. I know, I know. He just like dolphins. But, but you could do like the vaporwave throwback and it it, it, it works on two levels. Right. And it's also a throwback to what the actual dead aesthetic was in the 80s. And also with like, and this continues to this day, I think, the, the video screens and the effects that they oh, love yeah. to, to throw on the band, which were not like as hilarious as the Shakedown stream, like here's a watch with Jerry on it, like sort of stuff. Uh, but they kept using like, uh, like weird like Trani outlines and things like that. And like, uh, they did do that uh, thing during I, eyes of the world where they showed an eye. Yeah. There were eyes floating around on all the screens. Like a, just extremely literal. Yeah. <laughs> and I wonder, you know, yeah, we didn't talk about that for the first night, but we both were enjoying like the video toaster, but like yeah. uh, video effects, the, the slightly like out of date, effects that like look really cool but i'm guessing that's not self-aware like no like there are, i don't think so because there were moments during that show I'd, and i was more aware of this saturday night probably because i was a little more lucid saturday night that um whoever was directing their video you know screen stuff always seemed like a little bit off you know <laughs> like yeah i was getting a little frustrated because they weren't showing uh the jeff cam very much right because especially in the second set there were moments like where jeff was just ripping on piano and they yeah. and they would just hold on like o'teal for like five minutes <laughs> you know, just standing there or i remember at one point they just held on john mayer's microphone for like a really long time and yeah well someone else was like playing it's probably jeff again playing like a ripping piano solo and I was like, man, what, what's going on with this uh, director? Did the director get dosed like, yeah. <laughs> at this show? L- last night a tour uh, shenanigans. Yeah. yeah, I don't know, man. But yeah, it was uh, a really good set full of like, it's it, it had this sort of like uh, hybrid quality where it felt like a classic set list in a lot of ways because it had a lot of classic segue pairings that you got in a lot of dead shows from 70s and 80s. Uh, but also put enough of those pairings together that it felt like a sort of dream set, super set. So like it had, you know, it opened with China Rider, which was one of the things we had said, talked about wanting to hear uh, before we went in. I, I don't know if we want to jump ahead, but we had China Rider, we had Estimated Eyes, and then there was a Hope Slip Frank at the end. So just all these little like, you know, sort of traditional, I guess, Grateful Dead segue pairings or sweets. Uh, but played in a really interesting style, I think, throughout. I mean, I the the China Writer was great. Uh, I thought it it, it it was the first of a lot of moments in the second set. And we talked about this with the first show too, where it really felt like John and Jeff were steering the entire show. Oh, absolutely. They were like the the spotlight of all the jams, and they were even talking about the video screens again. It's almost like they're doing like uh, a tribute to the the. Jerry and Brent's like love stare. Oh yeah, <laughs> that gets gifts so often uh, because it's basically John like he just like wanders over to Comenti's rig kind of, and they're just like in this little pocket over on the on stage right, and they're like looking at each other, and John's throwing like his guitar faces, and then Jeff's giving back piano face, and they're just like they're loving each other. They really they're like it's like serious bromance going on. Oh yeah, uh, during some of these big jams, big... I, I loved it. Yeah, it was awesome and. Uh... And again, I mean, we talked about this with the first night, but like Comente is just, he's the MVP. I mean, yeah. it really he had like home. 
There were like three of those like spontaneous crowd cheer show stopping moments just off Comenti solos alone. I felt like yeah. in that set, just blazing and and uh, yeah. and and Mayer too. You know he he was working the the faces big time Saturday oh, night, big time. And I don't know if they... I didn't notice it hardly at all on Friday and Maybe... Saturday. I thought it would bug me, but I was I was I was along for the ride at that point. I just thought it was funny. Uh, so another place that was I thought some really awesome John Jeff interplay was. Your favorite song that you say all the time, "Eyes of the World." We got yeah, it. Yeah, that was amazing and to hear. I wasn't was even so expecting good. to hear that. I was—I don't think I even put it on my wish list because for some reason I didn't think that they would play it. Yeah, and I—I kind of—I called it, I guess, uh, just because I—well, sort of called it because when they played "Estimated," I, I turned to you and I said, "Ah, you know, they did China Rider. Maybe they'll do Estimated Eyes," since we heard that a lot on Dick's Picks. Uh, and sure enough, and it was, you know, to our delight. Uh, the slow jazzy arrangement of eyes, not the like coked up eyes, which of course would probably kill Dead and Company if they tried to play it at <laughs> mid eighties eyes of the world tempo. But it uh, wasn't too slow. I didn't think I thought it was no. a good pace. It wasn't like yeah, it wasn't like slow core eyes. It was it felt like a nineties eyes, like that Marcellus without a net pace eyes. And it had a, this is one of the like brilliant show stopping Comenti solos. You had great uh, Mayor, like, sort of rhythm interplay with him during that, sort of a double rhythm guitar thing going between Bob and John, and then a very long O'Teal bass solo. Oh, uh, yeah. Which, to your surprise, you were you were pretty into. I liked it, too. I thought, I mean, he's he's great. Yeah, I mean, you know, bass solo is not the most appetizing two-word phrase in the <laughs> live music lexicon, and we've seen in Grateful Dead context, I mean, bass solo is getting cut out because you know by Phil, at Phil's right. own request, you yeah, uh, Dix picks was that Dix picks one that got yes. a bass solo out of. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, O'Teal killed it, and it was yeah just another example of the younger guys really stepping up and adding a lot of color to yeah. the show. And Does just it... to go back to your Comenti comment quick, I just wanted to say that you know because I, I think you had said about the first show that one of the great things about Comenti is that he's able to embody almost like every other Grateful Dead keyboardist. It's like mm-hmm. you get the strengths of all of them in, in one guy and his playing on eyes of the world. It reminded me of like those great early nineties eyes that Bruce Hornsby plays on. Mm, yeah. Um, and I think it's Dick's pick 17, the, the, the 91 show, like the bonus track is the, eye, the, the, the 23 minute eyes. Right. Um, I think from three thirty ninety one, that he that Hornsby just kills, and it made me think of that when Comenti yeah. was playing. High praise, high praise coming from. Hey me. man, Comenti again, MVP. Yeah, just, just great. Though I'll say, and I want to point out because the drummers, you know, we give them so much shit. Uh, there was a great part of the eyes where the drummers uh, both sort of dropped out or just moved to entirely cymbals for like a minute. To just create, uh, put all the focus on, I, I think, Mayer and Comenti's interplay and left it kind of free floating for a minute. And it was it was a really great move uh, and the kind of like coordinated thing that I didn't really think they had in them anymore. Uh, but it sounded great. It sounded great in the moment. That that's I think the eyes is probably the thing I'm most excited to hear uh, when I when I you know get this download and revisit the show. Well, one thing I'm curious to check out is the drum space. Because right. Which we did know. not bathroom break this time, by the way. Yeah, and again, I feel bad about that. And again, it wasn't a aesthetic choice to bathroom right. break. And it wasn't a bathroom break. It was, it was a, a concessions food. break. Yes. And a it concessions was and water break. Yeah. Because uh, 
I was extremely famished and thirsty. Um, but I don't think the first night I fully appreciated the power of the beam mm. from Mickey. Yeah. Because you hear the beam on record. I like the beam as a concept. <laughs> you know, I like thinking about the beam. But um, I'd never fully experienced the power of the beam. Yeah. In person, you got to hear it in person. Yeah, it, yeah, and you have to feel it. It, mm. it, it, it is a physical experience because it will literally shake the floor and the rafters and the seats of like the biggest stadiums. Mm-hmm. You know, it's extremely powerful to experience in person. I mean, I have to say, like that was like one of the most powerful moments of the show for me was the beam. Yeah, yeah. I, I don't know if they have like uh, like they wire up these venues for some sort of surround sound or if it's just so loud that it just reverberates off you know the back walls of Wrigley and things like that but I I felt the same way at Soldier Field where it was like the just the all-enveloping physical sensation of you know especially the beam but even like the drums part and the space part like the 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 sound just gets incredibly psychedelic at that point yeah in a way it's awesome Makes you feel a little bit like this is must have, this must have been what it was like, you know, thirty forty years ago, uh, which maybe you don't get from the rest of the show exactly, but it's like it's it's a great experience, and that's why I felt so guilty about missing drum space the first night because I remembered it being such a highlight of the Fairly Well shows and something that works so much better in person than it does, uh, yeah, on tape. I saw the space the first night. We missed most of the drums. The drums weren't that long the first night. Mm-hmm. I think it went a little longer the second night. I'd have to confirm that. I could be wrong. They but, showed some uh, like rainforest scenes on the screen. It was like which the, I didn't dig. It's it like, was the full the Mickey experience. Yeah, yeah. You that is maybe the thing you want to see the most. Right. You know, it's the most the, interesting thing. Yeah. Yeah. You know, the, the the dudes hitting all that stuff. Got to shout out O'Teal too because I think O'Teal joining in as the third drummer certainly adds to the oomph probably of that of that segment. I think that's just a regular thing now, too. I think he does it every night. Uh, yeah. So they have a, a three-drummer attack. But yeah, it's really fun watching them kind of, like, you know, frolic around in their big drum playpen <laughs> yeah. at the back of the stage and how they're, like, switching spots and communicating and Mickey's chomping away at his gum. And <laughs> it's like, uh, it was really cool. I'm, I'm very happy we caught it one of the two nights. And then uh, out of space, I mean... This was the one point where I actually turned to you and I said, is this still space? What is going on? The drummers came back out. They just kept jamming. It kind of sounded like something to me, like tickling at the back of my mind, but I couldn't actually get it until I saw the set list after the show. But it was a, a full band jam on Milestones by Miles Davis, which yeah. apparently they have done. I looked it up. They've done it like about four or five times, I think. They did it in Hershey this summer and they had done it previous years with Dead & Company. So not totally out of nowhere. Uh, but great. I mean, it was just like, you know, open jamming. It sounded like barely around like a theme, you know, that sort of piano theme of milestones. Uh, but man, it, it, they were, this is one of the moments where I was like, this is way closer to the dead, the original dead than I ever thought we were going to get to this weekend. It was pretty cool because coming, you know, cause obviously they had the eyes of the world going into drums in space and then to go into milestones. It did feel like it was continuing the jazzy fusion feel yeah. that you got at the beginning so yeah this it was almost like okay this is like the early 70s part of the set you know we're gonna we're gonna like kind of take you back to that time uh and it was really yeah i love that i thought it was amazing um and it was interesting to go from that 
to the next song, which I think this is the longest song of the night. Uh, or, <laughs> was it longer I, than ours? I didn't um, look at the track list. I'm gonna look. I'm gonna look at uh, the Nugs set list here quick because I was listening to it this morning. Oh no, I know you, writer is the longest. Fourteen thirty-nine. Wow. No, no, you're right. Eyes is the longest. Fourteen fifty-five. Okay. okay. But then days between is like thirteen forty-one. Yeah, so, it was like, long. It was yeah. long. Um, and it, and it felt long, but in yeah. a good way. I, this is a beautiful song because there was this song and there's a song later on. It was like the two mortality songs. Mm-hmm. So it was it was nice because it felt like okay. We're having a good time. We have some party moments of this show, but it was like, okay, now it's time for like the contemplative, more emotionally heavy uh, moment of the night, and right. uh, it really hit with that. But yeah, it 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 is. I mean, it's a long song anyway, but yeah, it is. It it, it was uh, it was stately. We'll call mm-hmm. it stately. Yeah, <laughs> won't use the other S word to describe <laughs> it. Yeah, well, we talked about it in the first when we were talking about the first night. Where it works that Bob is singing Jerry songs. And I mentioned the Days Between from Fare Thee Well as being a highlight of, you know, Bob sort of reimagining what was a Jerry ballad originally. Uh, so I was happy to hear it again. Uh, I think we were definitely losing the chompers to my left <laughs> during this run of the show. Uh, the, the, the women who were with them were not happy about space. Uh, I think maybe milestones brought them back a little bit, but then days between again was uh, was losing their attention. So it uh, didn't go over well with everybody, but I think, I mean, you got it. I mean, these guys are all in their 70s. The whole Dead and Company experience is like remembering the past. Like you got to have a few songs like that that are just sort of like reflective and yeah, as you say, mortality songs, songs about death. A lot of dead songs about death, obviously. And you know, it's not the full experience if you don't have this sort of, reflective period well and you know again just to reiterate like you know these guys aren't going to be around forever right and it's nice to appreciate it when they're here and it, it, but this is one of those things that reminds you of that mm-hmm. and i and I, yeah i love bob singing this song because it does feel like him remembering jerry in some respect it, it, you know there Absolutely. is that connection that that aspect to it like you wouldn't this is a song you don't need john mayer to sing you know, yeah. This would not exactly. hit as well if it was John Mayer singing it. Um, and then from there we go into the help slip Frank at the end. And uh, it occurred to me that we got all three of the uh, iconic Grateful Dead song progressions. Mm-hmm. Uh, That's true. Scarlet Fire the night before. Right. With the, with the deal in between in the Scarlet yeah. Fire. So it's, does that not count then if you have the deal in the middle? <laughs> Or, I'm gonna, I'll still count it. It's fine. Yeah, I'm they played both halves of it. Yeah, it felt like uh, it. Yeah, it was kind of nice. I know they play a little bit around with Help Slip Frank sometimes too, and put other songs in there, or they'll just play Franklin's on its own. Or, but I was happy just to get the the traditional Help Slip Frank. The Slipknot had another passage of jamming where I was like thinking to myself, I am actually enjoying this just objectively as music, not with all the like you know, loaded atmosphere baggage of the Grateful Dead behind it. So, um, yeah, it was it was a perfect way to round it off instead of, you know, like maybe a Chuck Berry or Saturday Night appearing there instead of in the first set. Like, we just got, like, another sort of 20-minute dip into some pretty heavy jamming and sing-alongs and all the stuff that, that you really want. It was great. Well, and you made this point before that it felt like an end-of-the-tour type set. I also wonder if the night before influenced them to just load this up. 
Yeah. Because I'm sure they know that most or a lot of people are going to both shows. They probably knew, you know, because of the weather that Friday night was kind of a rough go at times. So it's like, okay, let's just bring the heaters, you know, to this show. Because uh, it really felt like that to me. Like they were making up for Friday night. Uh, and it was a lot of fun. We go into the encore. And the encore reminded me of Friday night a bit because they played Ripple. Friday night for the encore from American Beauty. And then they played another American Beauty song, Broke Down Palace, first in the encore. And it had a similar sort of like campfire sing-along feel yeah, to the ripple Churchy. of the night before. Yeah. And, and obviously another mortality song. But, you know, what can you say about Broke Down Palace? I mean, just a beautiful song. I, you mm-hmm. know, really, I mean, one of the things that I found really moving, moving about the weekend was – being in the stadium and hearing people sing along to songs like this. And you just, right. it just reminds you of the power of this band, like how mm-hmm. communal it is. Um, because I don't really know anyone in my, in my real life who loves <laughs> the Grateful Dead, you know? Yeah. So just to be around other people who love the band, it was like, it's just a powerful experience. Mm, absolutely. Uh, I'm happy they didn't end on broke down palace though. Cause it's kind of a downer. <laughs> right. Uh, exactly. Touch of gray. Perfect way to end it, I thought. I mean, that's what they ended fairly well with, too. That's what they opened the summer's tour with, so they kind of bookended with Touch of Grey. Touch of Grey, obviously, extra poignance. All the We Will Survive lines, given all the shit we've gone through the last couple of years. So, uh, yeah, perfect ending, I thought. It, it sounded really good. I like how they've continued at fairly well, how they pass around the vocals, like everybody in the band gets a verse. Um, right. They, they've continued that where Bob sings and then John sings. And I don't, it might've just been Bob and John, I guess, but it's still, I like that. It's, it's kind of like an inclusive thing with, all, you know, the ensemble they're playing with. Yeah. Uh, and it, you know, again, another big crowd sing along. You said, I think you mentioned you thought the crowd was more excited about that than any other song the entire weekend. I think so. <laughs> I mean, just basing it on like how loud, the, the sing-along was, I feel like Touch of Grey was the most popular yeah. song. Which makes sense. If you're in a stadium of people, it yeah. is, you have the hardcore people there, but then there's a lot of people, like the people next to us, who are you know more casual fans, who like the dead, but they're not listening to podcasts about it. You know, They're right. not listening to Dick's Picks, probably. They just like the band. They think it's fun, and they like Touch of Grey. And Touch of Grey is an amazing song. I mean, I think, are we at the point now where everyone admits that? I think so. I think all the uh, the baggage around Touch of Grey is, has pretty much faded out. Even the old deadheads agree that Touch I mean, of Grey is great. Nobody's, you know, judging anybody for loving Touch of Grey. I mean, great Robert Hunter lyric. I, I've always loved the lyric of, yeah. that, of that song. And great music, great chorus. I mean, it is one of those Grateful Dead songs that has a chorus that just works well on radio i mean it, it feels like they were trying to write a hit but like that chorus it just grabs you you don't have to know anything about the grateful dead anyone can like that song mm-hmm. absolutely you know, it's not you know you can't bust out slipknot on most people <laughs> uh yeah. and have them appreciate it but you know touch of gray very approachable so that wraps up our grateful dead or well that grateful dead dead and co experience yeah so we return to the central question here. Would you see Deadco again? Yeah. I would say after the first night, I mean, obviously we were going to go to the second night. If, if it had been two shows of the quality of the first night, I would have said, happy I saw them. Don't need to see them again. 
Uh, but the second night, I think, lit the fire a little bit. Where I still don't think I would like travel to see them necessarily. Maybe I travel to stay with you and see them in Minnesota. Right. Uh, but uh, yeah, I would I would definitely see them again. I think they they really do. I had heard this from people, but was kind of skeptical about the claim that they were growing as a band because I felt like ah eh, they probably they got good, but they're just kind of consistent, consistently crowd pleasing. Uh, but no, I think Saturday night was actually, there was some special music in there and I would go back to hear them try and hit those peaks again. Yeah, I, I agree. I, I would, I would see them again and I, I, I'm with you on the comments about the, about the second night. I also have to say, I just love the vibe of the shows. I, I had a really good time. I thought that the, the, the audiences were like really nice. You know, it was definitely one of those shows where you can strike up conversations with, with random people and have a good time. Maybe you also have chompers who want to strike <laughs> up a conversation with you during the set. That could be a little annoying. But even then, you know, they were they were still they weren't like overly obnoxious. You know, they were like still they nice. They were good people. nature. It's, it's all part time. of the experience. Exactly. They're they're just ha- they're partying, they're having a good time. Um and I don't know, I just feel like I know that there's cynicism with some people about dead and co and i i understand that or there's people that feel like well they shouldn't tour without jerry garcia but i think when you're actually there and you see people having a good time and and the music's good it's really hard for me to feel like oh well this should just be put in a box and put away forever you know this this music should be played it should be shared should be enjoyed and it just spreads a lot of happiness so i have a hard time finding any fault in that even though you know we do find fault in some things that we heard but i don't know I, it was a great time I, I would love to do it again yeah and now am i convinced about john mayer eh, maybe i won't go that far but we still got time we still got another season of you're you're i think you i'm warming up you I'm warming up. are there there are things holding you back from a pre, but i think i think you're more there than you want to admit Okay. I'll say that because I, th- okay. I think because I, 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 even in, from us talking about this, I know you were digging some of the stuff he was doing on guitar, and uh, it's not an easy spot that he's in. I think he's doing. I think he's doing a pretty great job. I, I, yeah. I tip my cap to Mayor. It's such a weird thing to look at in the abstract. It, it is. I remember Still. when it started; it didn't make yeah. any sense, but. <laughs> I don't know. It's worked, I, I, it's worked better than anybody thought. I think even maybe the band itself. <laughs> he's done a, and he's bringing he's bringing Vaporwave into the Grateful Dead. Uh, yep, so bringing you know, younger we'll, fans. We'll see how that goes. A lot of younger fans at the show. I mean, probably the biggest age range of any show I've ever been to. So hey, John Bayer, I, I tip my cap to you for uh, for a great weekend, and uh, we'll see if that carries over at all to his own music. <laughs> well, you know. When we come back for our next season, that is the curveball that's left on the table. I mean, I we have the to do that curveball. curveball. Yeah. So I, I know that might be my most anticipated episode <laughs> of okay. our next season. So we'll let you know when when that happens. I don't know when when that will happen, but it'll happen. It'll happen soonish. Yes. I don't know. It may be twenty twenty two though. I don't know. Right. We'll find out. Yes. Sorry. No. No announcement news about season four. Um, We're still working it out, but rest assured it'll happen uh, in the near future. But it's been yeah. good to have sort of a uh, between tour chance to talk to y'all. And, yeah, we got uh, we had to fire our, our our video director because he kept on showing uh, <laughs> you know 
he didn't have the right jumbo screen. Yeah, he he wasn't showing uh, he wasn't showing me enough on the on the jumbotron, so we had to fire him. Right. Uh, so once we figure that out, we'll be back on the road sooner rather than later. All right. Well, it was a great weekend, Steve. I'm so happy we got a chance to do it together, spend some time together in person, chat about the shows, and good to see some of you some of you listeners at the shows. And uh, yeah, we'll be talking to you again in a couple months. Take care, everyone. Thirty Six from the Vault is hosted by me, Stephen Hyden, and Rob Mitchum, and produced by Osiris Media. It is edited and produced by Brian Brinkman. All music is composed by Amar Sastry, unless otherwise noted. Logo design is by Liz B. Art and Design. The executive producer of 36 from the Vault is RJD. Hello, everybody. I'm Bruce. And I'm Nolan. And this is the Corner of Gray Street Podcast. As longtime Dave Matthews Band fans, we set out to create a podcast to dive deep into the past, present, and future of DMB. Not only do we recap and review shows within an ongoing tour, but we revisit past shows from throughout the band's history, conduct interviews with a wide variety of guests with ties to DMB, and create unique and exclusive content like our Concerts on the Corner series. Whether you're a fan of the band or just a fan of great music, we think you'll find something you'll enjoy. We can't wait to see you on The Corner of Gray Street. Hey there, I'm Johnny Christ from Avenged Sevenfold, and I've got a podcast called Drinks with Johnny you're going to want to check out. I sit down with a bunch of different people from all different walks of life, from professional wrestlers to actors, comedians, fighters, musicians, everything in between. I'm just looking to make some friends and have a good time doing it. So if that sounds like something you're into, go check out Drinks With Johnny, streaming everywhere now.